This podcast is so bad, it's almost harmless phosphorescence. Everyone, this is your host, Throw Smiley, and yes, I have an enlarged center hole and a hair crack. Who's joining me this week? I'm Josh Cece, and I would like you to find out what it's like to inhabit my particular skin. It's like I always say, take my life, please. I'm Brian Lesh. Look, it's not like I'm some modern punk dickhead. I'm Andrea Martinez Cece. And I am the exact opposite of everything you really hate. I'm Alaric Weber. <laughs> you are, Al. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and this is Harmless Phosphorescence. It's the podcast where we watch theatrically released full-length live-action movies. <laughs> and they used to be about superheroes. Now they're just about stuff. Uh, we are doing a brief run of comic book movies um, that are not superhero movies. Um and uh, yeah, we're about halfway through that. We've got a, a few more to go. Uh, the show is brought to you by patrons. Patrons like executive producers Michael Beckwith and Atticus Burkett. You want to be a patron? Just go to patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. We've got a lot of bonus shows there, and it only costs a dollar to get started. You can join in, listen to all our monthly movies for a buck a month. We just put up a... Oh, a strange brew episode this month. We're going to be doing one that's coming soon on um, uh, which one is it? Not Octopussy. Uh, I don't. You only. Oh, live and let die. Live and let die. That's right. Live and let die is going up uh, this month a little later. So uh, we've got a lot of other back catalog movie episodes there. It's a bunch about uh music so check it out patreon.com slash harmless entertainment this week on harmless phosphorescence we're watching ghost world hey, hey, what do you think you're doing shut up at that noise rock and roll baby freedom of speech <laughs> that guy rules they can't believe we made it we graduated high school how totally amazing I can't help but feel I had some small part in how you turned out. <sighs> Sometimes I think I might be going crazy from sexual frustration. You just hate every single guy on the face of the earth. That's not true. I just hate all these extroverted, pseudo-bohemian losers. You guys up for some reggae tonight? Do you have any other old records besides these? Seymour does. Who does? Oh, uh, him. He's the man with the records. What, are we in slow motion here? Come on, what are you, hypnotized? Have some more kids, why don't you? John Pehechan Ho. Gina Asan Ho. I'm allowed to place one student from your graduating class for a full one-year scholarship, and I took the liberty of submitting your name. This could be a really great thing for you. Would I have to take classes and stuff? <laughs> well... I'm just not the kind of guy who has a type. Every guy has a type. What about her? Whoa. Would you go out with her? As long as she's breathing. Hey! Hey! You! How many times I tell you? No shirt, no service. Get the hell out of my store. What do you think this is? Club Med? It's America, dude. Learn the rules. Loosen up. Yeah. Feel the music. 
Ghost World, the underground comic book comes to life. We have to get together this summer. Yeah, that'll definitely happen. Written by Daniel Klaus and Terry Zweigoff. Directed by Terry Zweigoff. Do you serve beer? Any alcohol? After about five minutes of this movie, you're gonna wish you had ten beers. Ghost World. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, that was a really good trailer. Yeah, it, it was. was. Yeah, I was thinking as I was watching that, like, this this is a movie that is a challenge to cut a trailer for. And I was excited to see that they didn't try to package it as, like, a teen sex comedy romp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, it, it was really true to the spirit of the film. It, it looks like... Uh, Office space is what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. There, there's a certain the late, deadpan late uh, well, lines late 90s, broken up with music. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a certain late '90s comedy. I don't know if they all use the same film <laughs> to give it that grain or yeah, the same cinematographer. Well, we've talked about it before, but yeah, the late '90s to about 2001 or so, there were a bunch of movies made. That you just don't, you can't quite figure out how they got a green light, like how that mm. pitch worked. Like everything from Galaxy Quest to Dick, the movie about water, the comedy about water, right. to yeah. this, to Office Space. There, there's Drop been Dead so many. Gorgeous. That's one of my favorite sets in there. Yeah, Election. Yeah, where it's yes, just like, Election. It's not like mind blowing that they got made, but you're just like, wow, how did that pitch sound? Yeah. Well, how did. Yeah, How did it, sound it, it was an room? interesting time where okay, so there it was. It was po- post indie boom, which was mm-hmm. you know kind of started with like the Tarantinos and Robert Rodriguez's, but then there was that like um, post ironic hipster indie boom. So uh, you've got like your Gus Van Sant's, um, uh, those in there, and so like they started, they were like, well. <laughs> The Tarantinos are doing good, so these other indie guys must be, and we know mm-hmm. we're gonna at least break even on video, so mm-hmm. we can we yeah, can, just we we can greenlight okay. this eight million dollar movie and not to worry too much about losing cash on it. Right? They they invested in far out comedies more. You know, yeah. Mystery Men. That's another one. Yeah. You know, like, how do these like like it's a parody of Star Trek? Next. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's a superhero movie with no real superheroes you know next it it's seems a like, comedy with two girls about watergate <laughs> <laughs> any other point like you get the standard formula you know like it's it's a it's a this story about this with this other thing all of these stories have a quirky thing like you said it's it's this thing with this other weird element mixed in with it well, at, at this point, these what are happened all, to that. At this point, these are all Hulu originals. <laughs> yeah, I guess that yeah, is what yeah. happened to it. Is now it's yeah. a limited run series or a, and they all have movie. to be eight eight to ten episodes. So they're all way too long or way too short, too short. depending <laughs> on what it started out its life as. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great like the Queen's Gambit would have been a late nineties coming of age movie. Yeah. To all the boys I loved before, or whatever, uh, was that Pen I Five? Totally. Um, oh, Pen Fifteen. Pen Fifteen. Thank you. Uh, totally killer. That's another movie that would have fit. I don't know if anybody saw that. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. That would have fit into these late nineties. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of these. Like, um, pretty much every Apple series would have been a yeah. movie in 1999. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, like you mentioned Office Space. Like that was a movie about nothing before we came to realize like that Seinfeld type yeah. thing. It was, you know, like there were movies that really weren't well, about anything. And it's interesting. I, uh, Office Space came from an existing property. This came from an existing property. Anything that had an existing fan base, didn't matter how small it was it was more likely to get made instead of like a fresh idea. Galaxy Quest is a fresh the idea, office space, but that's um, leaning on existing shorts things. were never broadcast. Were they? It, it, yeah. uh, not, not that I can remember. Oh, I they where? Were. Where did you see the, what were they, the Melvin cartoons? I think? Yeah, I thought that they were like tagged on to something. Were they, weren't Maybe they, they were on liquid television. That's what I was going to say. I think yeah. they were on liquid television. Uh, they were definitely in the Spike and Mike festival. I saw them several right. years. Um. I mean, Beavis anyway. and Butthead was Liquid Television but it originally. Was, yeah, was did he have others in Liquid Television? I, I honestly can't remember. Yeah. No, because the King of the Hill stuff came later. That yeah. was Beavis and Butthead spinoff. Yeah. But um, anywho, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, what about this movie? Yeah, yeah like I said, Ghost World was released July twentieth, two thousand one. Had a running time of one hundred and twelve minutes. It cost seven million dollars to make, and it made eight point eight million at the box office. So, like we were saying, probably uh, made its budget back. Plus, a little scotch more, and probably went into profit on video mm-hmm. for two thousand one. I know I did. No, I did see it in the theater. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I saw it. On I saw it in the theater as well. Movie. But I think it was in the theater for just like it, it was like a lot of those indie movies did, where they had like. They were in the theater for like a hot second, and then they were Catalina. just moving real quick to get onto blockbuster shelves. Yeah, they were in the theaters for like a month. <laughs> then, yeah. yeah, at the Catalina. Yeah, exactly. That's where, could, yeah. that's where you could see the little. You and I saw a reissue of Rear Window there. Throughout I the remember movie. that. Remember that was yes. that looked great on the screen. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, I saw a lot of stuff at the Catalina. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, sometimes I drive past that and <laughs> dream about like opening up a movie theater. Oh, we all I do. W- yeah, I want to everyone- open a. I want to open a charter school in it. Yes. Ooh, uh, for the arts. Oh, oh hell yeah! God. Has its own parking garage even. Yeah, I know, man. no, and that well, and- U of A is just sitting on it, which is good. It would have been bulldozed by now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're the getting, we're getting just- a brand new Starbucks where Bookman's used to be. <laughs> I know to cover up that gorgeous mural. Yeah, sorry, yeah. we can't <laughs> keep digressing. This is some real inside baseball. If you don't live yeah. in Tucson, come to Tucson. Tucson. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Look for the big whale painting. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, with the Starbucks in front of it. Yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. So, like we said, it made eight point eight million dollars. So let's go ahead and play the box office top ten game. This is the game where I will describe the top ten movies of the week and. Uh, these fine people here will try to guess what movie I'm describing. I will mostly use the uh, box office mojo description, but not always because <laughs> that's how I roll. Um, Ghost World did not open in the top 10. It opened at number 29. Um, it only made 177000 its first week. But it was only in five theaters, so that's like it was in it. That's its New York, LA run. Right. Um, the following week, it uh, let's see, it did much better. The following week, when it no, nope, it took a few weeks. Let's see, uh, it didn't go wide until 
God, did it ever go wide? Three weeks later, it's in 100 theaters. Week after that, it's in 34 theaters. <laughs> um, week after that, it's I mean, in 54 it may, may theaters. Year. So, yeah, We're so... It kept Best market, but it, still. Yeah, it kept ticking up throughout the summer of 2001, getting a few more, a few more. It slowly released across the country. So um, I don't know if it ever went wide, per se. It just kind of built up. Probably word of mouth. Yeah. Got it Video, into more. like you said. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah. Uh, a few uh, other movies opening that week. At number 27 was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Great movie. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at number 11, it, it's 11th week, having made two, having made, uh, what, like $95 million at this point is Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> and at number 10 at the box office for the week of July 20th, 2001, a betrayed intelligence officer enlists the aid of a prostitute to prove his innocence from a deadly conspiracy while returning a favor to her. How do you end up owing a prostitute a favor? Where you're like, oh, she helped me carry in my groceries. <laughs> yeah, Did she exactly. kill the pimp or something? Usually uh, they charge for favors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, tell you what, you can just owe me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you can just owe me a handy. <laughs> right, they overpay? This is a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Right. <laughs> this stars Bridget Fonda and Jet Lee. Oh. It is. It's like Point of No Return or No... No. It's... Yeah, that was a few years earlier, Point of No okay. Return. This has, has sort of an action title like that, right? Well, no. Due to being Jet Lee, it has a vaguely orientalism racist. yeah racistly oriental type eastern far eastern, eastern um, far eastern title yeah cuz i'm sure he does some ninja. uh happy ending <laughs> oriental trading company <laughs> um it's called kiss of the dragon oh well of course yeah oh. they're known for their kissing <laughs> they are dragons they're affectionate <laughs> Lots of time. I mean, yeah, k- kissing the dragon Lots is what's called when you return the favor, right? <laughs> guess, yes. Yeah, that actually refers <laughs> yeah. to a sexual position. Right. How to how to train your dragon <laughs> to kiss other dragons. <laughs> <laughs> at number nine, entirely innocent. Yeah. At number entirely. nine this week. Oh, this movie. Oh no. Okay. A scientist makes a last stand on Earth with the help of a ragtag team of soldiers against an invasion of aliens. Starship troopers? No, that no, was earlier. God no, damn. No, no, no. That was so much um, earlier. This is this is what this this was a big budget uh video game movie that didn't that Doom? turned out terribly. No, no, Doom's like 10 years later. Um, I thought later. you were describing Starship Troopers, mm. so... Yeah, no, this is... Uh, technically, this is CGI, but uh, weird, 
weird Uncanny Valley CGI oh, that everyone oh, hated. Oh, 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 oh. Is this like, no, not After Earth, but... No, no, it's based on a, it's a video game. I know, I know. It's not that one, but... It's uh, based on a very, very popular franchise, video games. I think they're up, was it 15 or 16? And they keep doing remakes of earlier ones. It's not Resident Final Evil, Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy. It's the first Final uh, Fantasy movie. It's the right. only Final uh, Fantasy movie. Or did they make sequels to this? They probably made sequels. Look, it was the <laughs> final fantasy <laughs> <laughs> they keep saying that but they're on like the fucking 17th reiteration of final fantasy 5 brought to you by the never-ending story people now that you mentioned it. it that was where like that was where the whole uncanny valley discussion came from because it and shrek came out in the same yeah. year yeah. and they were Not they polar. i remember all the side by sides of explaining like where the uncanny valley hits yeah yeah like shrek doesn't hit it completely but uh, right. Final Fantasy lives in the Uncanny Valley the entire time. <laughs> it, it was filmed on location in yeah. the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> <laughs> the beautiful oh. Uncanny Valley. <laughs> you guys saw Chip and Dale, right? We talked about that when it came out, where they go to the oh. Uncanny Valley. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Seth Rogen plays the, the World of Warcraft troll guy. Yeah. Uh, Why do your eyes look straight ahead? That's like that. I'm looking right at you. It's like that meta episode of Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> Where the, yeah, where they ride the title sequence. Yeah, That's yeah, the, where, where, yeah. Where they tried to capture previous Leon. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. Um, at number eight this week, uh, a four teens are tricked by a professor into visiting a haunted house for a school project. Um, this is a sequel. <laughs> oh. This is oh scary movie two. Scary movie two on the oh nose. My God. Take yep. my little hand. <laughs> That's my strong hand. That's I owned. I owned the first one of that on VHS, and I probably burned through that tape. I watched it so much. That was one of the last VHSs I ever bought. They were funny movies. Yeah, they were. At least the scary movies were funny. Yeah, yeah. Not everything parody after that, but yeah. No, yeah. All scary the... movie two. I saw the drive-in and. I just lost. It was one of the funniest things I'd seen at that moment. Yeah, we, we went as a big group of kids to go see it, and I just remember, yeah, being obnoxious the whole time. Those were the days. Um, at number seven this week, a doctor must save a forced and a bear's life. This is also a sequel. A forest Dr. and a bear. Doolittle. Doctor Do. DR2, <laughs> Dr. Doolittle 2, yes. Back in action. Uh, yeah, starring Eddie Murphy and a bunch of CGI animals with a bunch of stand-ups doing the voices. Yeah. Um, at number six this week, a cop infiltrates a group of criminals where he gets too close to the head of the gang. Donnie Brasco? No. Uh It's a it's 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 a little less homoerotic than uh Point uh Point Break. But huh. it's the same basic movie and it's one we may be covering within the next year. 
starring Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. God damn it. Oh. Fucking fascism and the furious. The fast. Yeah, the fascist and the furious. Yep. The original. Listen to how simple that plot sounds. Steal some DVD players. I still haven't seen any of these yeah. movies, but I know that it starts with stealing DVDs and, st- and then going to steal the moon. Could I you assume? imagine if they had made 11 <laughs> point break movies? Like... Yes, I can imagine. Just with a Sometimes bigger and bigger wave yeah. at the end of every one. Because it's the s- same thing. Instead of surfers, they're street racers. Instead <laughs> of robbing banks, they steal VCRs. <laughs> we assume that, that Bodhi dies at the end of every single one. Where he's like, hey, man, you know, I got to be free. I got to ride the waves. And he's like, I can't. I can't arrest him again. Gotta let him go. Gotta see let him, him go. See him for the next crime. But it, and then at some point, someone will go from a breaking wave into a helicopter, yeah. and then through that helicopter into an adjacent building. Yep. At some point, someone's As going to jump out of a space shuttle and surf yeah, to the ground. Say, ride ride a wave onto a launching space shuttle at at Canaveral. Yeah. Watch out! There's a megalodon in the water. <laughs> Yeah, Jason. You know, in in another universe, that would have been our Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious would have failed after the first one, and there would just and be point break, point movies. break universe. <laughs> What's PB, it all about? Being PBU. free. Ironically, I feel like Jason Momoa would fit better into Point Break than Fast and the Furious. Oh, he could play oh. Bodhi. Maybe it's because he, because he maybe it's just because he's he's the water god, but. <laughs> I could see him and Chris Hemsworth making a, a franchise out of that. Yeah. Uh, I just want to point out, listening to this top 10, it, it, as you listen to this top 10, this is a great illustration of popular culture at the time and a perfect ex, uh, explanation of why Thora Birch's character is so fucking disenchanted with everything that is popular. Yes, seriously, 100%. Even though the movie itself feels very early 90s in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah. yeah. Well, the I property mean, is, um, yeah. which we'll talk about. We're at like yeah. peak, we're at peak Backstreet Boys and in sync right now, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. This is yeah. peak, this is, Brittany, yeah. this is, this Brittany. is, I li- so I, I relate very much because I was exactly her character's age when this movie came out. So I have sense memory. Um, but this is that somehow we got everything really right in like the early nineties of embracing stuff that was cool and weird and unique and different. And then all of a sudden there was this weird shift into everything was just super commercialized and everything that was popular was like uber manufactured and everything. Like, yeah, this yeah. was well, peak in sync, in sync. Well, the, TRL, well the, pendu- the pendulum swung back because like yeah. right before, you know, alternative culture, or like, you know, the, the, but right before that got embraced by mainstream teendom, um, it was, and by the mainstream and sold to teens anyways, it was, you know, it was CNC Music Factory going to make you sweat. <laughs> like, right. That's true. It yeah. was yeah. Belle Biv DeVoe. Like that was right before. It was MTV. Like we loved MTV, but we all, you know, felt like if if your video was in constant rotation, you were a sellout, and it was mm-hmm. kind of yeah. lame. We waited for 120 minutes. That was the alternative show. Right. You're right, Thora. The the 
the peak indie time was like 94 to 97, maybe up to 98. Right, and that's... And also, as as I've argued before, when we peaked Desert Species. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That, that is definitely... I mean, and that's that's when the mainstream media media were selling us that like indie alternative as as the culture as pop culture right. mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's when we got named gen x mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly um so all right at number five this week at the box office a look at a top secret top secret high-tech espionage war going on between two groups that are unknown to the mainstream. There's no way to describe that. Autobots and Decepticons? I mean, kind of, but uh, instead of robots, it's a different people, a different (laughs) sort of thing. So it's different. So instead of being the right answer, it's different. Is this Rise of the Machines? No, 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 no. No, that came later. Yeah, yeah. The first, the first, ro- the first uh, Transformers movie is like oh nine or ten. Oh no, like. no, no. I'm trying to. I'm thinking of T three. Oh, I'm Terminator: of- Rise of the Machines. No, oh. no, no, no. It's yeah. not. Uh, this is no, no. This is this. This does not include robots in any real sense. Okay. <laughs> any real sense? Yeah, well, there may be a robot or two in there. It's hard. To, who can oh, say? Okay. Any right, movie may enough. have a robot just show up at any given. Is it a Star Wars? No, no, no. It is not. This is a children's film. Uh, it utilizes. Speaking of Uncanny Valley, it utilizes a a the 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 height of CGI in 2001 uh, to mix it with live action. Say the description again. A look at the top-secret high-tech espionage war going on between two groups, which are traditional enemies. Oh, oh, is, cats is this and dogs? Cats uh, and cats dogs. And dogs. Oh. <laughs> my, my dumbass thought you were making a joke and you were making this about Team America. I was like, oh, wait, no. dogs living <laughs> top of together. the line CGI. Yeah, no, no, cats and dogs, in which we CGI had them all talking. Not a bad movie. It's not. It's not terrible. <laughs> was, it, was Nathan Lane? Nathan Lane was one of the cats, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh I think God, so. this is a summer top ten list. There was nothing. Yeah, there smack, was nothing to offer. Smack dab in the middle of the summer, July. Not even like the doldrums of August. Yeah. Um. At number four this week, an aging thief hopes to retire and live off his ill-gotten wealth with his lover. When a young kid convinces him into doing one last heist that comes with a big payout. This isn't the Thomas Crown Affair, is it? Mm-mm. Oh, that was my guess. This was the movie that was billed as like is this three generations. Is this a movie? No. This no? is a movie that was billed as three generations of the world's greatest actor <laughs> together. Oh, um... It's, I believe, the what last, the, fuck the, the last the, film the of one, one of the, them. The one where Marlon Brando wouldn't take direction from Miss Piggy. Miss Piggy, yeah. The Score, starring oh, Brando, score. De Niro, and Edward Norton, who we all forget in the late 90s was being groomed as the next De Niro slash Brando. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, the score. It wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't no. like yeah. amazing. Um, Franco. It'd be a perfectly, it'd be a perfectly nice eight episode Hulu original. <laughs> <laughs> it totally was. Starling, starring Marlon Brando. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by Miss Piggy. Um, at number three this week, what may very well be the best movie on this list in my humble opinion, a fashionable, a fashionable, I am unable to pronounce consonants in the middle of uh, words today, a fashionable sorority queen is dumped by her boyfriend, so she decides to follow him to law school. Legally blonde. Legally blonde. It didn't need to be that good. It really yeah. that movie fired on all cylinders, man. <laughs> it really did. Yeah, this is that's a movie that that is perfectly packaged, but still kind of. It's it's in unique. league with um, which I, I don't like Sandy Bullock very much at all. But Miss Congeniality, yeah, is is a really good movie. It Shatner's is. great I, in it. And... I think this is probably the better of those two, though, as far as tackling oh, that idea, For because sure. because she is like intelligent, but also vapid. absolutely. Um, I yeah, love that way movie. better. Yeah, they, they made a Broadway musical that was really successful. Oh didn't yeah, they? Right. yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So likely there will probably be a movie based on the musical coming I think, soon. I think that That's is true. happening. Actually, I think I did see yeah, something. They like about to that. do that. Yeah, I don't know Legally how I. Blonde. I don't know how I feel about movies based on musicals based on movies. I don't, I don't know how I feel. His yeah. hairspray is sublime and brilliant, but John Travolta's version is oh. terrifying. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, and the Heather's like series that was based on like what was that? What yeah, was no that? Ugh. Anyway, I I try to just remember I when I see those things I try to just think good for them you know like yeah like uh yeah the hairspray movie musical is so far away from John Waters original creation but when I watch it I'm like ah you know that's a good payday for John Waters more than he ever got from the original hairspray true so, yeah that's fair true good for them um opening at number two this week. I, wow, I do not remember this movie at all. A movie publicist deals with the messy public split of his movie's co-stars while keeping reporters at bay oh, while a reclusive America's director... America's sweetheart. Yeah, I yes. did not remember this. Thank you, Josh. Fuck. I Starring Julia cover. Roberts, Catherine Zeta-Jones, John Cusack, and Billy Crystal. Features Julia Roberts in a fat suit. Oh, no. Wow. Ooh. There's a true crime series called The Staircase about a dude who like staged his wife's murder and all. And that was the movie they rented that night. And so throughout the series, he's just, that's one detail he remembers because, of course, that's his alibi. We rented uh, America's Sweethearts with uh, John Cusack. <laughs> this dude just keeps saying it like it's an alibi. Like you could call John Cusack and be like, yeah, he rented it. <laughs> I love it. He's <laughs> like... <laughs> So he probably his, distinctly remembers when he pushed his wife down the stairs, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's not the that's kind of thing what you the evidence was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the selective memory. That's 
Yeah, that'll get Julia you. Roberts right. had just yeah. taken off the fat suit when I pushed my wife down the stairs. <laughs> no, I don't remember anything about my wife, but John Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> Showed great chemistry. <laughs> they captivated our evening. How was the play? <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Yeah, Lincoln. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, how was America's sweetheart? <laughs> Other than your wife tumbling down the stairs in the background, the movie was great. Yeah. You can't mention it like anyone cared. <laughs> it wasn't Julia Roberts' best work, but you know, you know but murder. That's an interesting legal strategy. I, you know, if I'm ever in trouble, I might just use the, is that the uh, American Psycho? I have to return some videotape strategy. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have possibly re- murdered my wife. I was returning our rental videos. Uh, um, and number one at the box office for the week of July 20th, 2001. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, Attack of the Clones. No, that didn't come out to 2002. Oh. Three year. I forgot the three year gap. Um, a decidedly odd couple with ulterior motives convince a doctor to go to an island for a holiday, but their unexpected landing startles the island's inhabitants. I had to change surprisingly little of that description, <laughs> <laughs> given what this movie is. Um, oh, the I know what patients? this is. What? This is JP3. Jurassic Park 3. Oh, shit. Yes, Dr. Grant. Uh, Yeah. A reluctant doctor. All I had to do was remove... The only thing I had to remove was his name (laughs) and the name of the island. The couple is William H. Macy and Taya Leone. Yeah. And it's finding their kid. kid, But they tricked him. You tricked me, Red. Yeah. We're on the lost... A few yeah, other, other movies other. that didn't quite make the top 10, but were hanging around in the summer. Um, AI, Artificial Intelligence. Laura, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Uh, Pearl Harbor. I would like to do AI at some point. So would I. That, yeah, um, that's a heavy that, movie. Yeah, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's on that's our a monthly. That's a Kubrick movie. Eh, yeah. Written-ish, Ish, kind it's of. adjacent, but yeah. I, I would like to do it for that reason because the background on that is fast. Well, and and with the Spiel, Spielberg-Kubrick thing, it wasn't just like, I mean, they had conversations. So he didn't just like take notes or something yeah. like that. He knew he, what Stanley wanted. It's very much a Spielberg movie. Very, yes. very much. Yes. But it also, it hits you in the gut like a Kubrick movie. Like it, one of the few where I left the theater and I'm like, Whoa! Yeah, and existential Robbie's, dread. Robbie's <laughs> Becky was crying. Uh, like it was intense. Wow! Because you know the scene of like leaving your kid in the forest, robot or not. Yeah, you know? dude. Fuck that movie. Yeah, that yeah. was fucking yeah, I, insane. F- from what I understand, mm-hmm. Kubrick asked him to finish it. Yeah, that yeah. was that was yeah. his yeah. request. Kubrick gave uh-huh. it to Spielberg and said, "This is more in your zeitgeist than mine." Right. He uh, yeah. he storyboarded a lot of it as he yeah. always did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's okay. Haley Joel Osment's best role. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, that's yeah, the best performance, I should say. Not best. Jude Law role, like hit the scene. That was like his big Jude Law's big breakout. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it though? Wasn't Talented Mr. Ripley before that? Oh, that was. That's true. That was. It was. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to fuck, fuck him like in AI, but I want to fuck him in Talented Mr. Ripley. 
That's I mean, fair. <laughs> that movie's be... brilliant, but that's another one where it's like, how did that get, you know, like, how uh, did that get made? Well, I it was mean, a woman who wrote Strangers on a, a Train, and so it, it had been written decades and decades before. Then, yeah, yeah. suddenly the Goodwill Hunting Kid. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other movies this week Moulin Rouge. Uh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Where was that? How long had that been out? Uh, Moulin Rouge had been out uh, 10 weeks <laughs> Wow! at this point. That's that's a movie I still don't understand. I feel very much like uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, not quite it's Baz Luhrmann. I mean, yeah. that, and I like a lot of his movies, but that one I've watched enough times and it just doesn't click with me. It's a really fun 90 minute uh, music video. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which, Which back then we would leave MTV on for like yeah. ninety minutes and just. Oh yeah. <laughs> whereas so. Whereas yeah. Elvis is a two and a half hour really unfun music video. <laughs> I find that I found it more interesting than Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I Elvis? still haven't uh, cracked the seal on. Uh, oh, Elvis was insane, but oh my god, I, I don't know if I liked it at all. It was weird to tell it from Tom Parker's. Point of view. It was yeah. weird for Tom Hanks to do that act. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. I want to watch it. I think I might watch it before Dune. Uh, but be yeah, to, to my off. earlier point, you've named like 15 movies. Maybe three of them are worth sitting down and watching. Well, yeah. I, we've got Swordfish in here, which, oh. Oh. which the oh. main selling point of Swordfish was Holly Berry's breasts. Yeah. That's right. That's the only reason I remember that. That and she's topless because she's distracting Hugh Jackman while he is hacking some sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, that was another Can you Hugh hack fast when you're looking at boobs. That was a Hugh yes. Jackman pre X Men. I'm not no, sure. Post right? X Men. This was, was his, this was his big X Men follow up when it's like I Hugh see. Jackman can be an action star now. He's got to make you stick yeah. him with a fucking X Men. Memento. Is in here? Okay. There oh, we go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's the start I of the 21st century film. Yeah. Right. Again, how'd they pitch that? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. I'm sure that whoever got pitched that was confused and just went, sure, dude, will you leave? <laughs> yeah. Stop talking to me about this <laughs> movie <laughs> idea. And then, they, like and then they went movie. home and found a note from themselves telling them to green light the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they tattooed it on their face. Um, the Mummy Returns, which was terrible. Oh, you I take know, that back. Throw. The no, no, mummy the Mummy was, was good. The Mummy, the mummy Returns. Returns is so bad. It's good though. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's so. Bad. I haven't it's seen good. it since two thousand one. So I, I honestly, it's the only other one of these that has that is worth watching because it's so bad. That was the one. All the other the ones rocks. are so bad. That was that the, the premiere of CGI Rock, right? That's the introduction of the CGI Rock character. The thing that most of us know the CGI rock character from is his movie that is just the spin-off of it. Yeah. There are yeah. way too many minutes it's of him on screen. Are you about a rock yeah. or the rock? The rock, a rock. Uh, He's a rock in both of these movies, basically. He's uh, just a CGI face. Yeah, yeah so the Mummy Returns is bad, but so it's it's the Clone Wars or it's Attack of the Clones bad. I'll still watch it. I again. again, I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it in the theater. We should do them. Did we already do the mummy? Nope. In our, we in have our not. Galaxy Quest. We have string. not. Um, no. So, but just uh, run down the last few. Along came a spider, kind of one of the last Grishams, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Bridget Jones' Diary, A Knight's Tale, and 
the peak of Night's 2000. Tale. And Night's Tale is good. Yeah. That, that movie holds up. That's one of those movies that shouldn't have worked that worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the peak of 2001 cinema, Rob Schneider's The Animal. Oh, which is Deuce Bigelow? This male is Gigolo? the third week we've mentioned that piece of shit. Wow. You're a piece of shit, Rob Schneider. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> are. Probably Come listens. at me, bro. <laughs> so that is the end of the box office top 10 which brings us to our character and comic book background. Professor Al, can you tell us anything about the comic book background of Ghost World? Um, yes, but uh, my my teaching assistant uh, has been uh, doing his, his thesis on this subject. He's been researching. Um, so we're going to give uh, Josh Cece a chance to uh, talk about today's topic. Thank you, Professor Al. It's an honor being your TA and uh, working with you so closely. Now, the rest of you idiots, <laughs> I have your grades <laughs> on the final. <laughs> All right, let's see. Daniel Klaus, comic book artist and writer. Um, his middle name's Gillespie. That's cool. <laughs> um, born in 1961. Um, I believe he's from the Pacific Northwest. Um, but... He first got uh, noticed in an anthology series that um, he sort of uh, helmed called Eight Ball, and some of us might have remembered seeing those early on. So yeah. he got, let's see, his first um, graphic novel was uh, Like a Velvet Glove, Cast in Iron, which is a really cool book, and that was 93. Um, this one, Ghost World, was 1997, so... It definitely hits on the Pistons we were talking about, even though this came out in 2001. This is very much a late 90s, mid 90s kind of movie and vibe. Um, Some other ones, David Boring, Patience. Um, He started out um, very early on getting work published in The New Yorker, Vogue, uh, The Village Voice. And then with this, which I'm sure Thoreau will probably mention um, or bring up, uh, Terry Zweigoff, who was a good lifelong friend of R. Crumb. Well, still is. They're both alive. <laughs> um, you know, sort of, well, he broke out with Crumb, yeah. the, the documentary, and then went on to, I think he also did American Splendor. No. So, like, no, that I, I think he him. produced American Splendor, but he was not. Oh, he didn't okay. direct or write it. He did another comic property, I feel like. Oh, actually, he did High School Confidential, which is also a Daniel Klaus um, comic book. Uh, Let me just tap on Ghost World here. Uh, Okay, yeah, so uh, it was serialized in issues 11 through... 11 through 18 of 8-Ball um, and then got put together as a graphic novel. So it, it's not a trade paperback. It is technically a graphic novel. Um, yeah, just about... Uh, bu- 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 bu. Yeah, just about that 90s like vibe of uh, the beginning of the plastic we were talking about, the, the just the mass, the Wowsville Diner and the mini malls everywhere i mean remember that like mm. that was a phenomenon and people were impressed by it you know like yeah ooh, a new little mini mall opened up there's even the shot in this movie of the like sort of main strip with all the different you know fast food and, and that was everywhere america i drove around this country at that time and it wasn't box stores it was just 
yeah just neon yep. sign after neon sign after neon sign for the whole strip of the town yeah yeah <laughs> people forget that the mini mall displaced main street america that's what yes that's displaced what that and then Not the box, shopping mall yeah and then then the walmart the target the box stores displaced yes. the mini mall right moon so, talked about yeah. moon moon sometimes talks about there was the mini mall it was what was it called it was it was like Howard's Plaza or something that was like the mini mall to hang out in in her little Midwestern town she grew up in, which yeah. it, there was like a McDonald's and like a, a, a like a, a clothing store and a department store and a smoke shop. Yeah, that's what we had in Green Valley, right? You know, just a, a few little mini malls to wander around. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So pretty straight. Recently, my to, brother and I took our took his daughter to a movie at Elcon, but we mm -hmm. were telling her how this space in between the Walmart and Target that is now just desert landscaping used to be our playground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God, the the storied history of the Elcon Mall. So when I was little. Yeah, more Tucson landmark. Yeah. I know. I was gonna say she's an <laughs> It's the story of America. It is. So the mall, that mall, when I was little, was the the cool mall, and then yes. Tucson Mall opened up, and that became the the ghetto mall, and then they revitalized it in the mid to late nineties, and it when they put the theater in, or they upgraded the theater into a century theater, and it became. Uh, cool mall again, and now it's as Andrea's saying, it's mostly a theater and a wall or a target. Well, yeah. and Walmart to target, add to the Ross. story more, the reason it's called Elcon was because they demolished a historic hotel called El Conquistador to build Elcon Mall oh, okay. in the first place. Right. <laughs> okay, so that's enough of right, Tucson let's Landmark. Really, let's, uh, so, let's when, really when can here. we start um, our Tucson oh, Landmark let's... podcast? No, not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. All right. I think that's it. All right. Thank you, T.A. Josh, sure. for the uh, comic background on Ghost World. Um, like Josh mentioned. Full marks, Josh. Was it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're going to get your doctorate any day now. <laughs> um, your paper terrible, all of you. <laughs> um, as Josh mentioned, this was... Uh, Written by uh, Terry Zweigoff and uh, and Daniel Close, um, and directed by Terry Zweigoff. Uh, Terry Zweigoff uh, got to start as a documentarian. His first documentary was 1985's Louis Bluey, about uh, Louis Bluey Armstrong, a uh, string band and country blues musician. Mm -hmm. He followed that up with 1995's Crumb, which is... Um, about R. Crumb. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary. It is. Standards. Yeah. That dude is fucking weird. Oh, not as. He's the normal one in his family. Yeah, That's and what he's that documentary the most normal of them. Yeah. yeah. He, he had to get away from those weirdos. Yeah, exactly. Um, this Ghost World is his first narrative uh, film. Um, and he and Daniel Close got uh, nominated for the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, I, I was going to mention that. Yeah, they worked on it together. So this is very, very true to the graphic novel. Very much, yeah. Um, he followed Ghost World up with 
his (laughs) directing Bad Santa. That's right. Yeah, which I imagine that's where he's, he's, I imagine he's still living off those residuals. Yeah, Yeah, there was a sequel. The first one's not bad. No, first one's pretty good. It's kind of amazing. So it's funny because we were talking about um, Scary Movie and now that started the blank movie trend and Bad Santa started the bad blank trend of movies. Right, yeah. Bad moms, bad teacher, like so many. Horrible bosses. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Bad grandpa. Yes. Yeah. All of the <laughs> bad dog. There's so boy. many bad grandpas out there. And yeah, what, right. what, what's, yeah, what's interesting about Bad Santa is is Billy Bob Thornton never turns good in it. It's not like he gets it. He just at the end, he's yeah. like, he, he's a little better. He's like, well, maybe we shouldn't make fun of like autistic kids, but I'm he's still. He's like, it's fucking, it's fucking Christmas, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one redeems themselves. Nobody. In that movie. Nobody. Not even the kid. Yeah. It's a great movie. Honestly, it it that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And well, as, after watching this twice, you yeah. know, like oh. and as, did Bad Lieutenant come before all those? <laughs> <laughs> if that was a madcap comedy, yeah. Well, Bad Lieutenant Two is kind of is a madcap comedy in its own way. That movie's crazy, Bad Lieutenant Two. Port of yeah, Call. Ni- oh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, yeah, and um, Willem Dafoe, and it, it it bears no relation to the first Bad Lieutenant. So yeah, it's sure. really unclear as to why they decided to brand it as a sequel to Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> and it's <insane. laughs> to get all that sweet Bad Lieutenant money, right? Um, yeah, no, but as we mentioned, then Art School Confidential it was uh, a 2006 film he made. And other than that, he's only directed a uh, Amazon pilot in 2017. Um, he uh, he's basically been retired um, from filmmaking uh, for most of the last decade. Uh, it's quite a frustrating business now. <laughs> yeah, he he's been trying to get a number of films made over the last you know 15 years or so. Um, he was supposed to uh, co-write and direct a, uh, another film with Daniel Close entitled The $40,000 Man. That never got made. Um, he was supposed to write and direct a film adaptation of El- uh, Elmer Leonard's Maximum Bob. That never got made. Um, oh. He was supposed to direct Fred Armisen in a film called Justice for Al, which never got made. <laughs> so sorry, Al. No justice for you. Um, I've been feeling it. Yeah. He and Nicolas Cage were supposed to make a film together called Lost Melody. Um, he's he's The last 15 years has been film after film after film he hasn't been able to get made as the uh, vast majority of his life. So I think he may be literally just living off bad Santa residuals, as we mentioned. Um. So, uh, as we said, Terry Zweigoff and Daniel Close um, worked very closely to to uh, make to to get this film made together. Um, it stars Thora Birch as Enid. Um, Thora Birch. Prior to this, uh, American Beauty was the big. Yeah. That's where I recognize her from. I couldn't place her. 
the whole time. I was like, where do I recognize this girl from American Beauty? Hocus Pocus, now and then. She was. And Hocus Pocus. Hocus Thank Pocus. You. What, Thank yeah. You. She was a child actor in the early yeah. to mid 90s. American Beauty was kind of like her adult, like premiere, you know, adult in quotes. Um, and it, it's remarkable how much she looked like in it anyway yeah before they you know really put her in the costume from the book but mm-hmm. she, she just fits perfectly yeah they both do but yeah she looked like the comic book character yeah she really does um this I, she continued to work obviously but this was kind of her last big starring role um she didn't make another film for three years um and that that film, she was in something called Silver City, which is not something anyone remembers. Um, she's been in very few movies anyone's heard of since then. Um, a lot of a lot of fifth lead stuff and like straight to video or streaming movies. Um, she's done a fair amount of TV. She was in The Walking Dead for a season. She was, yeah. Apparently. Everyone, you had to, right? Isn't that a, Wait, isn't that a resume requirement? Is she the faceless Law and Order? Is Walking she the Dead. mask mom? I don't the know. Cannibal mom? I stopped watching The Walking Stop. Dead after the third season, so I don't know. Yeah, Who is she? Uh, no, she's, she's gotta not be the cannibal mom. She's not the cannibal mom. Uh, she was. She played the Gamma. Gamma. Uh, Alpha the cool was mom. the the mask the, mom. So she was one of she was one of the oh, masks, not but the not main. the lead one. Uh, Alpha wow. was the the, the main right. one. <laughs> I away. have no idea what any of that means because again, I stopped <laughs> watching after the third season. <laughs> yes, same here. I don't even know if I made that. Yeah, that far. Yeah, oh, she um, was she was in Patriot Games as Sally Ryan. She was the she was, no. Her nineties were great. After yeah, yeah. after this movie, though, her career um, started. She started struggling a bit career wise. Um, Unfortunately, her co-star in this ended up being a nobody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, at, Shame. Like Josh was saying, Scarlett Johansson as Rebecca. Scarlett Johansson, 17 years old when this was filmed. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. Good Lord. Well, now I feel bad about certain thoughts <laughs> I had. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, did you, anybody, real quick, did anybody see the, um, like, weekend update oh, wrap-up yes, jokes the, where the, they write jokes for each other? The joke so, exchange? Yes. Michael, yeah, joke exchange. Michael J. Oh loves God. making fun of Joseph for being married to Black Widow. Yeah. <laughs> she was the, what was it? Honey, the she word? was uh, the yeah. best Black Widow since Coretta since Scott, Coretta Scott King. King. Yeah. While Colin is sitting next to, I forget no, her name, one of the civil rights hero (laughs) is in a wheelchair yeah like a friend of the king family like oh her head so hard he tried to shake her hand afterwards and she was like nope i felt so bad for him that's so rough (sighs) yeah so this was uh scarlet obviously we've talked about scarjo a lot over the years um just prior to this um her her biggest role was probably Home Alone 3. Oh, that's right. She's the main kid in Home Alone 3. Yeah. But huh. she was another child actress. Um, so she she had a fair amount of 90s work. She's really good. She's yeah. clearly like really, really She's perfect good. in this role. Absolutely. In this, yeah. Like, yeah. 
she has all of the elements that make her a really good actress, even as a kid. This is what brought her to my attention, and then Lost in Translation is what made me go, wow. Yeah. Oh, same. yeah, Lost in Translation's a insane. That I love that movie so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve Buscemi. It's such a subtle movie. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but, but Bill that Murray. That movie is vibes. Bill yeah. Murray got robbed at the Oscars that year. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. It sounds like you said that. a lot more than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more intensity. I love that. Because it seems like you said a lot more. No, I recently saw where someone asked if a Japanese speaker could translate that. And it's, um, yeah, he's he's talking about like John Wayne and like there's like, right. yeah. the swagger. And, but yeah. but it does kind of boil down to like be more intense, be more American. <laughs> yeah. Right. So funny. Um, So, yeah, Steve Buscemi is Seymour. Has... We've done a Steve Buscemi movie, right? We had to have done something with him. Had to he wasn't in Mystery Men, right? No. 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 He, um, he would I'm, fit right in, but Um We've never we didn't done do Armageddon. We've no, we've never done a Tarantino. Um And he hasn't been in the MCU. Good right. for him. Yeah. He was not in he does a lot of Robert Rodriguez, but he was not in uh, Shark Boy versus Lava Girl, <laughs> <laughs> or Shark Boy and Lava Girl. The versus like is a, when they dab their fish. divorce, like yeah, versus <laughs> Kramer versus wow. Kramer versus Lava Boy versus. <laughs> well, that's like I only just realized that Coyote versus Acme is a court case like reference. I thought, yeah. Yeah, and I'm excited yeah, he, for that movie. He actually sues the yeah yeah. Um, no, this is the first Steve Buscemi movie I think we've done. American I'm, Hero, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, Donnie, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Steve Buscemi. Um, I guess we'll briefly touch this. He got started in the mid '80s. Did a lot of like indie work. Um, kind of. I, ooh, did he break out with uh, Reservoir Dogs? Kind of. Barton Fink? Maybe yeah. Barton, Barton Fink. Barton Fink, yeah. Miller's but, Crossing. He, he well, was... Miller's Crossing. But I think you're right. Reservoir Dogs is where people really, the Madonna, the tipping scene. That's yeah. what yes. made him, yeah, that's what brought He's him. He's like to. a household name after that, basically, yeah. if you'd seen that movie. He was a, he was a firefighter yeah. in NYC. He, was, yeah. he mm-hmm. went down to the 9-11, he was ground zero. Yeah. He was there. Absolutely. He was also he was also in Final Fantasy uh this year. Really? <laughs> oh, Steve. No, he was uh late 90s <laughs> early 2000s. He was working. He had Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was in Adam Sandler movies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, the Airheads. Airheads was great. Oh, Airheads. Oh, Airheads. The Lone Rangers. Yeah. Oh. Which is how he got to know Adam Sandler and then he was absolutely great in um uh, the, what was the first Adam Sandler movie? Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Billy Madison. He's the <laughs> man. Am I glad I called yeah. that guy? The yeah. Charles Whitman type. Yeah. But he sits back and puts the lipstick on all hastily. Yeah. <laughs> like a David Lynch moment in that. Movie. I love that moment. That's the best part of that whole fucking movie. Yes. <laughs> Living in Oblivion. He was great in that. Yeah, um, he was. Oh. Trees Lounge was one he made. That's one he directed, yeah. yeah. And, of course, I mean, Fargo. Yes. Oh, yes. 
uh, all of forgot. the Coen Brothers films, but Fargo yeah. was kind of like a showcase for him. Is he in all of them? I don't know if he's in all of them. He's in a lot of them. No, he's in a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. early stuff, probably yeah. everyone. Lebowski, then, like, obviously, which Barton Fink, which Barton. Josh referenced earlier. Was he in? I think he was in Hudsucker Proxy. He was in Hudsucker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. like that weird one with Catherine. I think he was probably more in Joel's movies than Ethan's, because they switch off as we all. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ethan's are not as successful. That one with Catherine Zeta Jones and George Clooney. Oh, that one. Yeah. That was the first one Stuff where I was like kind that. of like, oof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he like, They have different styles. I had no idea. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes they're just movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, he as we mentioned, he was in Armageddon. He was in Twenty Eight Days with Sandy Bullock, which is not about zombies. <laughs> yeah, he's not a zombie in Twenty Eight <laughs> days. days later. I'm out of rehab. <laughs> um, he was in the Spy Kids movies. Um, mm-hmm. He's the one who said, "Do you think God lives in fear of what He created?" <laughs> in Spy Kids, in a, a Spy Kids movie, that's a quote. He, yes, isn't he the pervert in uh, Con Air? Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes. yes, I yes, want to do Con Air so bad. Ooh, that we is a totally do Con Air. Cinematic, yeah. Achievement. Is that Michael Bay? I, I think no. so. Yeah, I think it that is. has. To no, be I'd like Michael to do Con Air and no, I'd like Joel to, Schumacher. Joel Schumacher, uh, thank you. I'd thank like to do Con right, Air right. and I'd also like to do The Rock to round out our late '90s Nicolas Cage action trilogy. Yes. <laughs> we already had the Dove Church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's see. Um, he, he just continued. Dove Church. Yeah. Or, no, wait. Did we just call it Bird Church? I think it was just Bird Church. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think those I are mean, pigeons, can, technically. Can I do a shout out to his recurring run on 30 Rock? As, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as the PI. Yes. Oh, Steve Buscemi, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now he's a drama teacher, Charlotte Larue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, for instance, I'm wearing a child's Halloween costume under this suit. <laughs> um, he continues to do all the Adam Sandler stuff. Um, he's in all the Hotel Transylvanias, Vacation Friends, and Vacation Friends 2. Um I assume the Adam Sandler movies are fun for him because he's got oh, a relationship with those guys. I assume the Adam Sandler movies are fun for all of Adam Sandler's well, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah I bet. As as much as we want to like criticize them continuing to be made and diminishing in quality, like oh, I bet I it's it. fun getting that phone call, it's being like, "Dude, Murphy thing. We get to spend three months with our friends in a weird spot. That sounds great, and, and I get a million dollars." It is like that Eddie Murphy thing. I can't. I can't remember if I saw Doctor Doolittle too, but I'm not offended by it. Like, yeah, <laughs> no yeah, problem. Sure. You know, like that's for people. Adam Sandler yeah. is for people. Yeah, people. People come for it. No, it just makes me laugh. I'm like, dude. He was just here last week. He really? played a pickup game before the uh, basketball game. He, uh, oh, that's McHale. cool. Oh, nice. It was in the news too. It's just him and I don't know who he was playing with. I assume he's not very good. He just doesn't like an athletic guy. He's like 55 years all his life. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he's one of those guys. Um, He only wears basketball shorts. Yeah, as you say. So that's got to mean something. He's probably pretty accurate from inside the queue. I have a hockey jersey, so I'm clearly a hockey player. (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) Brad Renfro stars as Josh. Pour some out. 
Brad Renfro, RIP, one of my first loves. Yeah, he, yeah, passed away in 2008. Yeah. Um, I can run it down for you from memory. The client, yeah, Tom and Huck, yeah. uh, um, Sleepers. Um, Tom and Huck was so good. Apt Pupil. Tom and Huck didn't need to be that good. I forgot that he was an Tom apt pupil too. Yeah. It's probably the best adaptation. Yeah. I think so. I it didn't need to be as good like yeah. Rose. Yeah, I grew up on that. Um, yeah, he uh, he. What was it? Drugs? What? It, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, heroin. Yeah, Ooh, yeah it was heroin. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, uh, Tom and Huck marked an awakening in this. In this girl's life, ah. uh, I have indelible memories. <laughs> you want go, to do it on a raft? They go swimming in the river. The like, right? I'm yeah. A, yeah, I want to. I want to raft down the Mississippi. <laughs> I want to do it at my own funeral. Tom and Huck also was an awakening in my life when I was about nine, but it was literally rafting down the Mississippi for me. Yeah, yeah. wanting to get away. Yeah, it was wanting like, wait, have an awesome I could, black I could do crime and run away from home. <laughs> You know what I just read? I can wear just overalls. Sorry. What I just found out. So remember Mrs. Musk uh, Grimes? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pop star Grimes? Her tweet? Oh, her, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, I saw that too. But like, very interesting take on race recently. Yeah. But yeah, she continues to be awful, and you see how she ended up with Elon. But, anyways, um, when she was in college, her and her roommate built a homemade houseboat and tried to go down the Mississippi with nothing but a sewing machine and a cage full of live chickens. I in love that sewing machine. Why the sewing machine? I assume to... It's that old riddle. You know. can make goods. It's crossing <laughs> the river in the canoe. You've got a sewing machine, some chickens. And a communist and a- pop star. Yeah. So what is her name? Grimes. Grimes. Oh, she was married. Is Grimes her first name? It's like like Cher. It's just her name. Like Cher. Oh, because isn't there a country music star like Alison Grimes or something? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's my confusion. I got you. But Grimes is a racist Canadian who was married to Elon Musk. She was one of the first (laughs) like SoundCloud uh, alternative artist that really blew up yeah her first her first couple albums first i kind album of dug then i found out my business. how yeah. bad she is and i was like it's, oh i don't like her that much i'm gonna yeah she she's kind of I'm, I'm trying to think of like uh it's like uh what's the what's she's the got, gal who wore the swan oh um, bjork bjork it's like yeah, a poor like, man's Bjork. It's like, yeah, it's like no. an experimental, <laughs> experimental. Bjork was rich man's Bjork. <laughs> well, I mean, Bjork, Bjork is art. This is like, yes, yes, uh, this is yeah. like experimental electro pop. Yeah, yeah. Yes, trying to sound my, like Bjork. none of my business. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. But like in college, she tried to raft down the Mississippi. That's what's crazy. I was thinking this country star who grew up in the eighties. Yeah, no, no. This was a Canadian, and she's she, her, yeah. And, imagine, imagine going through customs on the river. Right. No, and they because it starts in Canada. Yeah. Apparently, they got. <laughs> apparently, they made it like a day and a half, and then like the cops were like, "No, you can't do this. That's a long trek. That's that's at least twenty miles. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they made it at least that far, but like." 
<laughs> Wait, how far they go? I don't know. Just one day. Oh, I mean, oh, one day oh, on oh. a river is about 20 miles if you're not paddling. Yeah, but uh, on it's the a home, pretty fast flowing river. Homemade, yeah. homemade houseboat. What an idiot sewing machine. But yeah, Brad Renfro. His first film was The Client. Speaking of Grisham, um, mm-hmm. he uh, his last film was called The Informers, which was released after his death. Um, Ilya- Too young, like oh, Heath, yeah. like he could have, he was, he yeah, somebody. I was like the Heath Ledger thing. Like, we did not get to see the body of yeah. their work. Yeah, he wasn't even thirty. Bill he was Seymour one of Hall. those genuinely like just plucked kind of thing. Like uh, I can't remember who directed the client, but like that they were filming in, in the South and like went to like local schools and stuff mm. and did just open audition. And he had done like a school play and that's it. Yeah. Remember when that was a thing? Yeah. And he's so good in this. He's so good in this. He's doing a lot in this with what little he gets. It's crazy. Oh, the client was well, also he's... Schumacher. Really? Whoa. He's carrying the only conscience in the movie. Yeah. You could <laughs> argue that Seymour somewhat does, but who knows? But Josh yeah. is the only one that's like, this is fucked up. You're yeah. fucked up. He's the, the only one like with his head on straight. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ileana Douglas is Roberta Allsworth. We spoke about her a couple times recently. Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes. That's right. She was the hippie fortune teller. Yeah. She's a Nepo baby, too. Yeah. Melvin Douglas. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, um, uh, ba- <laughs> Bob Balaban as, yeah. the, yeah. as Enid's father. Yeah. Um, yeah. His first movie was Allow Me Midnight Cowboy. Right? Yep. Midnight yeah. Cowboy. He's the, uh, he's the young gay kid in the bathroom that sort of turns John Voight's mind. Absolutely. Um, he was in uh, Catch-22. Um, oh, yes, he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Altered States. He's also oh. Nepo. His... I'll look it up while you're talking. Go ahead. Altered States. Um, yeah. yeah. Barney, Barney Balaban was his uncle. Um, who was an executive and president of Paramount Pictures from 1936 That's to 1964. That's what it was. Yep. yep. Nepo. It's always been Nepo babies. It's always been all the way down. Always. Except for Brad Renfro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we just said. Well, but uh, he's all in the Christopher Guest movies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So deadpan. I just think of him from uh, what's it? The He's the narrator in the. Wes Anderson, uh, what's the one on the island? Oh, uh, um, Bob. Moon, Moonrise Kingdom? Yes. yes, Moonrise Kingdom. He's the nar- narrator throughout that whole movie, and I just, I love his narration. Yeah. He's my favorite uh, mm-hmm. Wes Anderson narrator, I guess. In the 90s, he was definitely one of those guys that I, he was like, you know, I recognized him, but I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, in so many things, Bob Roberts, um, Amos and Andrew. Oh my God, that movie. Uh, <laughs> City Slickers 2, Waiting for Guffman, um, Deconstructing Henry. Uh, he continues to work. He was most recently in, speaking of Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. But he was in act movies that actually made money, including 80 for Brady. Which, uh, yeah. Was that an ESPN uh, special or something? 80 for Brady? 
Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, Brian, it should have you've been. missed out on the cultural phenomenon that, that is one. 80 for Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Oh, okay. It's about it's a bunch of old ladies. It's about like a bunch club or of old ladies starring oh. Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, Moreno. Sally Field, and Sally Field, Bob Balaban, Harry Hamlin, Sarah Dolly Gilbert, Parton, Dolly Parton, and it's a it's sort of a, a joke on how yeah, so many moms and aunties love Tom Brady and like yeah. what a. Even if they're not interested in football so much, but they they try to go to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Wait, yeah. this is new. This is yeah. A movie? It made it made forty million dollars in twenty twenty three. Yeah, it's streaming at the theater. Here's here's the thing. I've not seen a, a minute of that movie, but I watched a lot of the press tour that those ladies did because it was <laughs> yeah. highly enjoyable. That's well, crazy. I'm a fan of all of them. They're having their revival because of Grace and Frankie, and yeah. they just did recent in the last few years did like three movies together, like just yeah. pumped out a few. What's funny is that if you at, at on Netflix or whatever any every movie they have, Lily Tomlin looks like Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda looks like the photoshopped ghost of Jane of a publicity pic of herself from 1970. I I love that contrast between the two of them, though. They're so well paired with each other. Yeah. Well, that was the yeah premise of the show. I mean, like Lily's yeah. such a hippie. Yeah. And- My motherfucking favorite thing is Grace and Frankie. What's that SNL sketch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good show, man. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, there. Eighty for Brady. I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> I, I don't know back. if you need to. I don't give a shit yeah, about sports. That's imagine. the thing. I'm like, uh, yeah. Um, just rounding out the cast of uh, Ghost World, Dave Sheridan played uh, Doug. That's the uh, dude from uh, the the convenience store. Yeah, the nunchuck. Um, you're forgetting our other convenience store, the owner of the convenience store. This is America Throw. Yes, don't forget. Yeah, the, Brian Bobby. Brian George, Brian, um, aka he plays uh, Arjun in The Expanse. Of course, that's the thing that I, he's uh, Christian Avasarala's husband recast sad um, but he also voices Alfred and all the animated stuff he does oh. but he oh. was probably best known as the soup Nazi yes he yeah. is the soup Nazi also he's not he's not he's he's I'm sorry yes. Babu thank Babu. you thank you Babu my my mistake Babu I just yes. agree <laughs> Babu I'm, I'm sorry no no I was yeah no I, I misspoke he was Babu yeah um, Those, Pat Healy. Healy. You're a very bad man. You're a very yes. bad man. Very bad. Yes, you're a very bad man. Um, shit, what was I say? Oh, Pat Healy was the obnoxious guy in the turtleneck who sells yes. her the videos. And yeah. Stuff. He's yeah. done in lots of things. Yeah, yeah. Again. Terry Gar. Terry Gar as Terry Max, Gar. As oh. Maxine. And David Cross as Gerald. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was right around when... Yeah, anyways. Oh, and... Uh, oh, and- yeah, the roommate who was in all those 80 movie, 80s movies. Oh, the yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was... Oh, Thomas McGowan. Thomas McGowan, he, yes. He was yeah. like the guy in a chair in some movie or a couple movies, yeah. right? You know, just yeah. like the messy desk, the sort of Wayne Knight character. Mm. Uh, he was in The Last of the Mohicans. 
That wasn't the movie I was expecting to see there. Where, where did they put his he desk in that one? <laughs> but he was in Captain Ron, um, Searching for Bobby Fisher, Sleepless in Seattle, yeah. Heavyweights, oh, The Birdcage, Seattle. As Good that As It Gets, Bean the Movie, <laughs> that Mr. Bean movie. Um, he was also in Bad Santa. The Veep. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, uh, Patrick Fischler was the video store cashier. He's, um... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, he's... He's that dude. <laughs> yeah, he is that dude. He's working a lot these days. He was... I liked him in Happy. That was a fun yeah. show. We covered him in The Shadow. Uh, oh, a while back. Um, God. Uh, been working a lot more than, or a lot longer than people realize. He really has. And I realized. His first film was Speed. But he was then yeah. also in Twister, Mulholland Drive, Full Frontal. Oh, old Drive. School. He's so creepy in that. Yeah, he is. Old school, something's got to give. I always picture him in like 1940s garb. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's uh, old school. That's right. He's the dean's assistant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's one of those guys. Like you see him, and he's like, oh yeah, that guy. Um, oh, he was in Barry. Oh, mm-hmm. where? Who was he in Barry? Uh, in Barry, he played. Was he a Chechny? The he played Lon O'Neill. He was, I believe, he was a. I don't know. He played Lon O'Neill oh, wait, in is, three episodes of it, Barry. Is that the? De- who Lon is? That huh. I think was. I think he was one of. I think he was like a, a an FBI guy or something. Huh. Well, I gotta go back and watch Barry. Yeah, I want to Thanks. anyways. Yeah, 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 it's so good. Um. So, but um. That about rounds it up, except of course, uh, we uh, for the uh, uh, what's essentially a cameo. We, and uh, Will Forte was an extra. Really, he was in the, the porn shop. He was in the porn shop. Yep. Oh. One of those creeps. Yeah, Anthony's. Yeah, Anthony's. Mm-hmm. I love He's that it's, another a, guy it's a guy's been name longer than we think. Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. He's I mean, oh, yeah. he was producing the that '70s show, right? Yeah, writer. yeah. This this was really? this was before SNL, but yeah, probably mm-hmm. around the time he was in in uh, that '70s show. Um, yeah. So uh, that about rounds out the production of the film. Um, the uh, the uh, let's see the the soundtrack. Featured Jean Pechanho. Jean Pechanho. Gumnam? Which, yeah, which is, uh, that's, that, that kind of made this, that, that, it, it, that, that really brought this song into, yeah. uh, the public consciousness. Yeah. It also uh, set the tone for this movie. Like, you immediately mm-hmm. didn't Absolutely. know what was coming, but that was fun. It was toe tapping. Yeah. It's the best part of the movie. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. My favorite part of this movie is still the first three minutes of it and the the camera sweeping through the uh the windows they're they're mm-hmm. literally panels from the comic it's cool yeah yeah absolutely um 
The graduation rap was written by Daniel Close. <laughs> And performed. We achieved matriculation. And performed by Vanilla, Jade, and Ebony. Wow. <laughs> Brilliantly performed. Yeah. Uh, um, the Pickin' Cotton Blues was written oh. by Terry Zweigoff and performed by Blues Hammer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that crushed my soul, man. The oh, second time yeah. around watching it. It was such a thing, though. I, at oh, that I missed time. So I missed, many white blues bands. I missed yeah. the lyrics the first go around. I'm so <laughs> glad I watched this movie a second time. I literally had to stop and rewind and listen to the lyrics of this song the, and go the plowing oh, and picking cut. Like, oh my fucking god! Blonde haired, blue eyed, yeah, guitar playing bar band. Lang. Yeah, Ugh. as a blonde haired, blue eyed guitar player. I felt that in my soul. Yeah. And 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 the white part of my soul. For those of you who are white. <laughs> the white part. <laughs> um, I want to speak briefly about uh cook chicken. Oh ah. wow. Okay. Yes. So um as Josh mentioned, um uh Daniel Close is from the Pacific Northwest and he based Cook Chicken off the Chicken Inn, which um that that painting and the pictures of the building with the very Sad. racist uh-huh. uh, imagery, which was called uh, not cook chicken. I I, I don't want to say it, but um, so I'm going to avoid saying that in this show. FYI. Well, what did the word start with? C. It's so the same. Yeah. As this? It, it was oh. called the C Chicken Inn. They yeah. they well, had going to be saying the word so. Settled out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be saying it, but um, not in the context of the film. No, I'm not. That's that's curious. All I, right. I mean, no, I don't want to. I don't want to say it. I don't I'm want to be recorded saying it. <laughs> come on, come on, Thoreau. Right. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's like Sambo's. Remember yeah, those? Sambo's, which yeah. which had to change its name in two. 2020. Yeah. 2020 is when they changed their name. Um, but yeah, it, uh, all of those, all of that imagery is from an actual business in Seattle, mm-hmm. an actual chicken place in Seattle, which is ne- currently, well, I don't know if they're still in business, but they were known as the Chicken Inn afterwards. Well, I can give you other examples. Uh, Mrs. Butterworth, Uncle Ben. Yeah. Um, Shit. There are other <laughs> those are the two we'll, uh, we did. <laughs> but yes, yeah, all of those very the Piccaninny racist imagery, the blonde jockey imagery. Yeah. Very big in marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Be- because it was the same principle as sort of the magic Negro, like they oh they have special secrets and their spices are so yeah. You know, well, yeah, that be, weird. They, they, they've been our servants and have been cooking for us, and they make good food. So we're gonna exactly yeah yes. As if everyone doesn't love chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watermelon's my favorite fruit. Fuck y'all who say it's yes. Yeah. Well, we could get into the reasons for these stereotypes, sure. but we won't. Sure. So, um, yeah, not enough time in the podcast for that. No. <laughs> and if we're not gonna say that, we're yeah, there's no point. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Ghost World, 
uh, was, well, Siskel was dead by the time Ghost World came out. So um, <laughs> he was in the Ghost World. Yeah. Um, so Siskel was dead to begin with. <laughs> I see dead Siskel. I mean, some of his takes are brain dead. But... Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, but uh, it has uh, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think Ebert print reviewed it, right? I believe he did. Um, yeah. I believe he genuine, generally thought um, liked it. Um, I don't think Ro- he and Roper <laughs> reviewed it either, though. So, um, but uh, um, a couple letterbox reviews. Um, Steve, let's see. Uh, Steve Buscemi is a manic pixie dream boy. Three stars. I love that <laughs> description of him because he is that. Big watery eyes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to take care of him. I can fix him. <laughs> <laughs> I can put him in jeans. <laughs> the manic pixie dream boy dresses jeans and a green cardigan. It's the Ned Flanders, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of dreamy. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, I. Yeah, I'd I'd leave uh, Marge for Ned Flanders. <laughs> Maudy, <laughs> stupid sexy Flanders, stupid sexy Flanders. Yep. Uh, and uh, writer Roxanne writes: I based my entire personality around this movie as a teenage girl. Steve Buscemi, your character is creepy, but I still want to bang you. Call me. <laughs> I don't think he's creepy. Well, so, uh, yeah, I'll say uh, that, you know, when this came out and it felt icky and everything like that, uh, like being the same age as the character, I was like, ew, no, thank you. Oh, that's um, creepy. Yeah, watching yeah. it this time, <laughs> I was like, Shemi can get it. He's <laughs> <laughs> the only interesting right. man. In, yeah. Yeah. That they encounter. Well, I mean, realistically, Josh, though, let's be real. Is he interesting? Like I said, he's got the heart. He's, I I think he's interesting because there's nothing going on. He's a mystery. Yeah. You know, like there's, yeah, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to Josh. We'll get, we'll get there. Oh my. We'll, we'll talk all about Josh. Josh, I hope it makes you uncomfortable hearing about Uh, it. Nothing, very few things make me uncomfortable, but it's not going to be a fun uh, (laughs) conversation topic. I mean, I think that the allure of Buscemi in this to Enid is that he is, he 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 lives what she wears yes. as fashion. He is but counterculture weird. in yeah. every possible oh, way. Yeah. Sh- shall we begin? Yeah, yeah. we shall. <laughs> Guys, you're ready to jump into the movie. Jump, hey, hey, jump. Hey, look, there's pants. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. This is Ghost World. We open with a credit sequence and the song over old footage of Jean Pei Chan Ho, an Indian Down song. To the drums. An Indian rock song from the 60s. Uh, Enid's getting dressed and dancing. Um, we uh, cut to the high sc- her and her best friend's Rebecca's high school graduation ceremony. <laughs> it's just and the the speech of the student who was in a car accident. The it's just yeah. So it was so realistic. The whole 
ceremony. Yes. And then zooming in on the wedgie of the girl who's rapping. It's just yeah. it's a great illustration of Enid's view of all of this. Yeah, so much. And it was but it's also so on the nose for high school graduation. Because so <laughs> even if it's not the girl who got in an axe or something, just how Terrible a t- high schooler's speech is, no matter how much time they spent on it. Yeah. Like, and a sense of humor. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I heard so many kids' speeches that sound like that. Yeah. I think when I was I that they age, get, they get worse the more time the kid puts into them. Let's be honest. Maybe so. I mean, it's they're longer, they're longer yeah. that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's because you're 17. <laughs> you, you can't write a good speech. Yeah, ex- well, exactly. You, ha- you don't have that. Yeah, and if you're not if you're not focused on leaving, you have the wrong idea. Like you I know, wish your goal every, should be to get out of there. I wish every speech was simply San Dimas High School football rules. <laughs> yes. Um after the graduation, Enid discovers that uh she won't be able to graduate unless she attends a remedial art class because she failed her art class. I just want to say in Enid's defense, I never passed an art class. Yeah. In my life, I, every teacher I had almost was Ileana Douglas. I know mm, we'll get to her. Same. It was terrible. Every one I had. Yeah. I do. I do love though the bureaucratic nightmare of having to pass an art class to graduate from high school to become an adult. Jim. Is, Jim is what w- would catch people. Yeah. In, that's as far as I remember. It, I had friends who similarly like or or not returning a library book right. you know, <laughs> yeah, that they that. didn't own like. The, just the things that kept kids from graduating from high school are so insane. Like, just yeah. get them out there. The the job force needs them. We need meat. For <laughs> back the when there was a permanent record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I almost got held back because I was caught smoking a cigarette <laughs> on the yeah. second to last day of school. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Go Mustangs. <laughs> well, you learned your lesson. You don't smoke cigarettes anymore, Throw. Yeah, there it only go. took me 20 years to quit. <laughs> uh um yeah so uh at the after party (laughs) after the party it's the after party um uh enid and rebecca are there making fun of everybody uh so smug yeah yeah so smug uh they we learned they don't really have any plans for their future other than finding jobs and getting an apartment together they're cynical social outcasts. Um, we immediately see that Rebecca is more popular with the boys than Enid is. Yeah, so that dude who's going to go into business administration and communications, that character is a millionaire now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember, we were still like fighting that businessman cliche. Like, yeah. oh, you're a businessman. So lame. But- but all the people in this movie talking about business degrees. Yeah. God damn it. They were right. We yeah. were wrong. Graduating from high school in the late nineties and getting a business degree was the move. Yeah. For sure. And communications, just that blanket degree of communications. communications. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Anyway. Well, this movie sits, sits directly in that nineties irony, ironic, like the mainstream sucks. Don't sell out. It was kind right. of, um, kind of. You could, I mean, it was kind of like the yuppie thing. It felt like like looking at yuppies when people talk about yuppies. Mm-hmm. That's like yes. sellouts are just yuppies again. 
but but also that like ironic like don't like stuff you shouldn't actually like like stuff yeah it's not cool to like things which is why they make just as much fun of the girl that's going to acting classes who's enthusiastic as they do about the business guy right Um, there's always just cool throughout this movie there's always so much going on in the background at this party um you see the the broken neck girl um they mentioned that she used to be a party girl, um, but you you see her without them commenting on it. Uh, one of the jocks like f- feeding her booze from a flask. Yep. Yeah. That's how Which the is happened. This this movie handles reality in a cool way because these kids are disillusioned. They're not really paying close attention, you know. But they are also aware of all kinds of shit. But the girl, like, oh, she's sober now. I guess whatever. But she's clearly not sober. God, I knew so many kids in school that were that was that was the reality. Where in most movies you get like they're sober now and they're actually like a a positive example. Mm. Or they'd be the butt of a joke. And we don't get mm. either of those things. It's just reality in the background. I just I love that about this movie. Yeah. Um so Enid. I hope he doesn't get AIDS when he date rapes her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just woo. Yeah, that's that is that is straight to the vein. Nineties detached, yeah. ironic, yeah. like edginess. It's but like James knew. Gunn's tweets. <laughs> yeah, we knew those girls. We, you know what I mean. We we knew those bitchy. I knew mm-hmm. girls like that in grade school. That oh God, like yeah, that. We I was a, eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can name a few pairs, but absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that humor is withered on the vine. Yeah. Um, I just mean the whole disdain for everything. Yeah, like, yeah. You're lucky. You're lucky to have me in your orbit. Mm-hmm. Attitude. Like I'm cooler than or everybody. The, right. The Jin, literally when when I go to sleep, the world doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Kind of. <laughs> Jin sees, seems to be indifferent in a slightly different way. Yeah. 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 Well, it's. I mean, it's. Yeah. So it's the outcast thing of. Yeah. It, None of you would let me sit at the table, so I am making my own table, and I'm going to make fun of how shitty all of your tables are. Which which is funny because... That's age-old. Yeah, which is funny because it's... I I feel like the teenage teenage girls in general, when they experience that, react how Enid and Rebecca do. Like, well, fuck you, I'm too cool for the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Whereas most guys (laughs) react to like, fuck you, I'm going to go home and watch Star Wars alone. (laughs) <laughs> I think at that particular time you could still um, uh, cultivate an air of mystery. Now you can't, you know, even if you're a kid that stands up and says, I'm a this, that, or the other, look at the way I dress and act. Everybody knows what you looked like a year ago because of your Instagram pictures or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Back then it was back yeah. then it was like, I'm going to go to school and then uh, this is who I'm going to present. Nobody comes and, to school after the summer with a new image anymore. Right. Yeah. Anymore. Cause they're like, I watched your whole life. You're fucking well, fake. I'm a goth it. now. No, and, <laughs> you're not. And, uh, I saw you. Or you are, and that's fine, but don't pretend you always were. Childhood friends aren't necessarily friends through high school in the same way that they were before, because now you can share your interests with people online. Yeah. You're like, I love two years of school. Well, yeah, that, well, these specific kids too. Yeah, they're fucked (laughs) as far as friendships (laughs) go. Um, But like just the aspect of these two kids being friends until they graduate from high school and that forces them apart. 
versus just interests um, growing apart and you fall into your interest group in high so school. So we we all lived together right out of high school. And at that time, that was a big, like, we, you just couldn't wait to get out of high school so you could get your own place. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, fuck my family or I, this or that. It was just like, well, I can't wait to get my own place and I can't wait to get roommates. Yeah. That's the thing. I notice a lot of young people have their own places now. Back then, it was just like, it was a necessity, but it was fun and what you wanted. And it, it was more of a milestone than I think it is now. Again, with talking about cars earlier. Well, it was it was less uh, strenuous on the budget, too. Well, well, that's the, a whole that's yeah, a whole that's other a whole thing. other thing. But because, but, well, what, OK, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I would say easy for three people to live together when rent is a third of what it is today. You know what I mean? It's, it was a lot easier when yeah. I grad when I graduated from high school, having a roommate was super easy. And now I'm like, oh, God, you need three roommates. I, to survive. I think it's funny that they can just get a place together working at a coffee shop in a movie theater. Someone working at a coffee shop in a movie theater now can't necessarily afford an apartment. Yeah, no, I wasn't comparing it directly um, or or the, yeah, the, the price the, of things. Yeah, but the I, financial was me throwing a stick in there. Sorry. No, not at all, because it's it's that though that's an added point to it is that you could also have those ambitions because you could live as an artist in the 90s. You could get away with just being in a band. You could you could you know, sell a box of CDs. And right. So you could afford to be that aloof. Yes. I yeah. guess that's what I mean. Yeah. 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 You, you can't afford to not sell out now. <laughs> Like yeah no exactly shit's it's not cute anymore. There is that theme though to this is because so Enid was allowed to like to reject everything and not sell out because she was in like the cradle of high school and her father's home and everything like that and progressively each thing that she goes towards she has to learn that she has to sell out in some way like whatever path she takes is going to be a sellout whether to her it's going to college or it's getting a job all of those things mean compromising this identity that she's built up right i love her question do i have to go to classes right that's selling out yeah and it's like a free ride it's not even like she's being offered a free ride to art school yeah that's as good as it gets in her situation no whereas she is she's angry at the world that she can't simply get by by just being who she is like i'm just cool and she kind of ends up getting by for for a while but i mean like I think the the Scarlet or Beck still gets the apartment and furnishes it. Yeah, I mean it's still. I mean she does. She can't. She does. But like, ultimately, you know, when she leaves, it's you know she's gonna have to do something. Like she leaves, right. and she's well, not. That's a sequel or the well, future. Sure. <laughs> she doesn't come around at all. She still gets carried by somebody. I don't know. I think that's kind of the point of the ending. Is yeah, that, I think I think that's what the ending leaves us with. Yeah, though. of course it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, yeah I didn't I mean think, in perpet. I didn't mean in perpetuity. I just meant in the portion of this reality we're uh, privy to. Well, I think no. I think I think she does come around. I think that's the point of the last scene on with the bus. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, 
I think we, we can talk about it when yeah. we get to the yeah, we should talk about it when we get to it. But I, I think I agree well, with, not, with Josh what you're getting at, though. I think I see what you're yeah. getting at. Yes, it these things inspired her to move forward. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Um uh so uh we cut to Enid having breakfast with her dad, who urges her to go to college, tells her he's reconnected with his old girlfriend Maxine that Enid does not like. Who she, she loves said she jelly. would kiss herself if she uh starts dating her dad again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've watched too much TikTok. <laughs> I don't want to get demonetized. Can't say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh um Enid and yeah, unalive herself. Oh, unalive herself. Soft language God. bullshit. I know it's so funny. Sorry. Make us but. feel better. I like the de- demonetize approach, though. That just makes me laugh because it's very practical. Like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to lose. I yeah, I understand that I get. That's so not censorship. You, saying "unalive" is weird. You know the adding of "ussy" to things that Gen <laughs> Z does online. Yeah. The. Yeah. 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 Um, I saw someone recently <laughs> shared a screenshot of someone saying "girl ussy," and it's like, no, <laughs> there's already a word for that one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so Enid and Rebecca meet up at their local cafe. Rebecca starts asking Enid about looking for an apartment. Uh, anti-Semitic douchebag shows up who sells bootleg videos to Enid. The casual she didn't pay for. Yeah, also, she, did, she didn't. Which I, I love that she didn't pay for it because fuck that guy. Yeah. But I mean, she does eventually give him the money begrudgingly, but also like just ca- how casually anti-Semitic he was. Did, yeah, did you was... catch the the name of the shop he works at? Oh, what was it? Like the it's a comic book slash is eating. Al, were you about to say it? Uh, yeah, it was xenophobia. <laughs> Zine, Z-I-N-E. Xenophobia. Books and magazines. Okay. I, I just want to point out that trading um, mixtapes and VHS tapes was so fun back then. Yeah. Like that that was a thing. You'd, you'd find just a bunch of random clips. Yeah. Just right. discovering stuff. That was that's yeah. where South Passing Park back came from. Mm-hmm. Like, like Train Matt did copy. this short film that was never released anywhere, and a bunch of people traded it and made copies of a tape. My, that's my, what. My, yeah. yeah. My, it my made st- that. Yeah, that late 90s, my stepsister was living in L.A. Um, and like trying to break into the industry. And she saw Blair Witch as passed around on videotapes a good six months before its release. And she was like, no, they told me it was real. Yeah. Which that's why she was like, it's the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Wow. I, I wonder how much of that had to do with God, not to derail us again, but how much that had to do with the campaign towards that feeling so real is people thinking that it was just found footage yeah. when they watched oh, it before was it was the released whole, yeah, in theaters. That was the That's whole marketing campaign. They, they put up a website doing yeah. a documentary yes. about yeah. the Blair I was Witch. A little yo- I was a little young for Blair Witch when it happened, but I remember it going on. I remember people being me freaked out by sick. it. I saw it in the theater. So much handheld, yeah. yeah. I've seen it since and it's goofy. It's fun, but it's Oh, goofy. yeah. No, but at the, no, at the time it was, it was like this might be real was what yeah. they were pushing. Which is well, yeah. Now it's like, oh no, a dude's standing in the corner. <laughs> yeah. But that's but that's Run! the day 
but those are the days of being able to exchange videotapes and having you not know yep. the the provenance of the film you got. Yep. You know, where did this come from? My friend, where did they get it from? Their should friend. check out the documentary "Shut Up, Little Man" if you haven't yet. But um, about the phenomena, uh, it's it's about these two drunk gay dudes that lived together, and then these two college students who lived on the other side of the wall, and they did nothing but record their neighbors, and then it became a phenomena of passing the tapes around because their arguments would just be wild, just. Hmm a great documentary check it out wow wow yeah i'm gonna have to look for that <laughs> that's very invasive <laughs> and they weren't fun. a couple or no one was gay and the other wasn't and they were like best friend roommates but just he was so homophobic and then the other one was so yeah hmm. interesting uh so uh enid and rebecca follow a couple they think are satanists while following mm-hmm. them they stumble upon a 50s style diner that they uh, go into and make fun of. This is such a small young person's view of the world. Following somebody and being like, oh, look, a restaurant. They clearly don't drive, you know, yeah. like they get rides everywhere. But the but them being like, huh, this is new. Like, yeah, they don't get out during school. They're only getting out on vacation. They're very much still young kids. Mm-hmm. Like I had all kinds yeah. of freedom when I was in high school, but I knew kids who didn't get out until it was summertime. Yeah, and it, it, it was also a, that was another big trend at the time. Johnny Rockets, like that kind of you know yeah. the nostalgia that the five and diner exist for us. Like, why are you selling me the fifties anyway? Like that was such a thing we've talked about there's, it over and over again. Like, why are you pushing the fifties on me? Yeah. In part three of uh, two, in part three of Tucson uh, <laughs> land, geographical <laughs> landmarks, there's still there's still an empty five and diner near the Tucson Mall up here, which looks. Exactly yep. the same as it did 30 years ago when it was hopping <laughs> with like the chrome outside and the black and white checker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, got well, there's too. a, what is it? Not uh, little Anthony's is still that. That's still, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And they're still going yeah. thanks to the, uh, the theater. I don't think little Anthony's would exist if the uh, gaslight theater wasn't probably there. Not. Yeah. That uh, many malls. Yeah. Sad one. Yeah, it is. Um, so they go but there so there is an element like so the kitsch the kitsch of it mm-hmm. and like so they are both actually obsessed with the, the decades prior um they both like wear vintage constantly um uh Rebecca wears vintage just as much as as Enid does but yeah. she wears like she's more of a late 50s early 60s Doris Day type aesthetic mm-hmm. and so like they could create sort of like a a 50s diner. They're going to visit it about how bad it is and how inauthentic it is as a 50s diner. Yeah, that's what um, they're upset about. Mm-hmm. That they go in and yeah. on the little jukebox that the table they're playing it's rap. Got hip-hop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, they find a personal ad in which a lonely man uh, asks a woman he met recently to contact him. He thinks they shared a moment. Well, uh, yeah. So for like anyone. Connections thing. I doubt we have any listeners <laughs> under like the age of 35. But if we do. <laughs> I remember the, the, the wanted 
A uh, weekly? Yeah. Ads in a weekly? The, the like missed connections. Missed connections. Uh-huh. Yeah. You had to take out an ad. <laughs> I, I worked at the Tucson Weekly, actually, in the ad sales department. So I would take those. Yeah. And sometimes the, like, X-rated personals. Those were fun oh, phone calls. yeah. I bet. <laughs> Do I have to tell you my name? No. Not if you can pay the ad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So for anyone too young, newspaper, newspapers wow. used to be the internet as far yep. as. That's how we communicated with each other. Yeah. Newspapers and magazines were our and, internet. And free weeklies, yeah. especially, the, which yeah. as a nod, like a meta nod, the free weekly in this movie is called free weekly. Yeah. Every town, they still exist. A lot of, yeah, most, yeah the most, Port, Portland Week, LA Weekly is where Matt Groening got started. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the local city alt weekly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Henry Rollins still writes for LA Weekly. Yeah. I mean, Tucson has a weekly. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we do. It's, they've all seen better days, but they do still exist. Yep. Austin, Portland, any, yeah. yeah. Milwaukee had one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, let's see. That night, Enid makes a prank phone call to the man, pretending to be the woman, inviting him to meet her at the 50s diner. Again, prank calls and this kind mm-hmm. of like pranking was, that's, that's all we heard. <laughs> and buckets over doors. <laughs> it's amazing well, how much of our pop culture was because we were bored and there wasn't much else to do. Yeah. Absolutely. How I mean, much, I was say, how much of this is pre-cell phone? Yeah, all of it. Uh, like there's this, uh, well, and there wasn't much reality TV, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of the things that they, like, like Enid's very much just a tourist in other people's lives. You know, mm-hmm. she's yeah. watching the Satanists and then she's following them. She sees this thing that like, um, you know, is posted in the weekly and does a prank call. She follows that guy, all of that. And it's just this voyeurism that... Now we has just been commercialized, but like, you know, it's the same as just hate watching mm-hmm. 90 Day Fiance or some shit like that. But she yeah, was totally. doing she was doing the live show. That's what walking around her her town was, was just picking people, making judgments about their lives and following to find more details to make more judgments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, the next day, the girls meet up with their friend Josh to get him to drive them to the uh, the 50s diner. Um, um, I want to know who wrote the little ice cream spiel. Like, it was it the angry Greek dude who owns the place? <laughs> like, okay. Along with our favorite flavors, chocolate and vanilla, we have root and tootin'. It's like, yeah. I don't know. I, who wrote that? Penny <laughs> Allen Tangerine. To me, that seemed very 90s in the sense of, like, you buy a share in, like, a company and they deliver you the thing. You're like, mm-hmm. you're, it, it's like a membership thing and you have to sell it that specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a franchise. Franchising. Yeah. yeah a, like a, but, 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 like, but, like a compartmental franchise within, like, a personally owned business, like Schwann or something. Yeah, yeah, that's it's very, very like that's a very '90s thing in my brain. Like, I, I think happens it, now, but it's shifted into new things. I think it was a many decades thing that has fallen out of favor yeah. recently. Um, so uh, yeah, so Josh does drive them there, though. As we've like we mentioned, he's he's kind of the only 
really human person that hangs out with them. He's like, this is terrible. Why are you doing this? Um, so they see. Secretly- and he also like, we don't know exactly his backstory, but he already has a job and mm-hmm. he's probably been there a while because Doug mm-hmm. knows him so well. So like he can't afford to be aloof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they use him to drive them around, but you know, he, he knows shit ain't cute mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. when you're broke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there they secretly watch the man from the classified ad at the diner and make fun of him. And then they secretly follow him home to his apartment. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to make a 30 rock joke. <laughs> <laughs> Liz is yelling at Tracy and she's like, and it, that time you catfished me, I fell in love with you. <laughs> you wore a yellow hat to that cafe. <laughs> Making fun of her. <laughs> Well, and Josh, just one last, we get to see Josh being critical of like, why are you, A, that's right. a milkshake. Like, she's so focused mm-hmm. on judging people. Why would he order right. milk? Like, that's a milkshake. You're so it's a vanilla milkshake. You're so jaded that you miss right. the obvious. Which so you my, don't know that glasses, what these come. <laughs> um, so my idea on Josh is, uh, my, is that they both, at some point, they both like Josh. And they made an agreement as friends that neither of them would move on him. Yeah. Because there's there's the moment where we see uh, Becca kind of gaze at Josh as he as he's changing out of his uniform mm-hmm. or just taking off his little vest. Um, and so we know Becca likes Josh. Then later, Enid says that she likes Josh, but she can't do anything because Becca would freak out. So... I think there was at some point some agreement of this is the only male that either of us can stand. And so neither of us are going to, and we both like him. So we're neither of us are going to move on him. That's Um, what I think the deal is there. I I think so too. And to speak to that in the comic book, um, Becca does end up dating Josh, which is another wedge in her and Enid's relationship in in this story in the comic book um i have a suspicion but then also enid sleeps with josh or or is going to sleep with josh like yeah in the comic book yeah so it's yeah mm-hmm. i i have a sneaky suspicion there was more with josh that they shot that ended mm-hmm. up being cut out but i don't have any proof of that <laughs> just just i i, I like how they i like how they used it I, whatever mm-hmm. they did worked really well you know, because it's the subtle things in this movie that make it interesting. This movie is full of subtle things that just yeah. and, and mm-hmm. a credit to like you'd mentioned uh, the gaze of when he's taking off the vest. We see a lot of these moments where I was like, "Wow, Scarlett Johansson's character is exceptionally horny." I was like, "She's a teenage girl." Like, right? You know, like mm-hmm. that's just a, she's a teenager. Like, yeah, that's she, what happens. Yeah, she and she's makes the joke friend. about masturbation. Right. And and we're inside that as the viewer. It's kind of it's so it's interesting seeing there's so much that's happening and they're not aware of it, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're kids. And that's an ongoing theme of just like, I am so fucking horny, but I cannot stand (laughs) anyone like anyone that it is acceptable for me to have a sexual relationship with. I can't listen to them talk for more than three minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm honestly shocked at how willing Dana was to date Seymour, given. Oh, yeah. Um, She's a unicorn. 
Let's yeah. be real. That, yeah, she, she is. She was very sweet and very understanding of all of his weirdness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not because well, like clearly she's attracted to him, which yeah, Steve Buscemi, sure. <laughs> Go get it, girl. Mm-hmm. But also freaky um, sex lips. But also he, he he's not exactly he's not exactly making it easy for her socially. No, no. Well, but then also Dana is of similar age to Seymour. So Dana's had the tour of what there is to offer. Show fair. <laughs> you have a job yeah. and you're nice. Let's give yes, it a shot. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so the next day Enid starts her remedial art class we meet her teacher Roberta who thinks that art should be socially relevant um, the girls near father near oh <laughs> uh, yeah I wanted you children to see my art so you could see me the whole me or whatever she says I've been enjoying seeing Jude discover like um, pretentious black and white like uh um uh, impressionist filmmaking and he's like wow look at this i'm like i i yeah but also <laughs> maybe see all the bad impressionist black and white uh art that people have been making for decades like sometimes it's just a tampon in a teacup man <laughs> yeah. uh um the girls go back to the classified man's apartment where they find him selling vintage records in a garage sale. They learn his name is Seymour. Enid buys an old blues album from him. Mm-hmm. Um, Bro, you may already know because you were looking at the bio, but how old do you guys think Steve Buscemi is in this movie? Anyone the take character a character or the... I would say 38. 42. No, thirties. No, that that's yeah, very good. So Steve Buscemi is is forty three in this movie, huh? but I only mention it because when I saw this movie as an eighteen year old, I was like, "That is an old man." Huh. And yes. and, then, mm-hmm. and then, as I mentioned, I saw it. I rewatched yesterday, and I was like, "That's a pretty young, attractive girl." Yeah, um, I would point out that this movie. Came out twenty three years ago. Um, how old is Seymour supposed to be? Do we know? I think about forty ish. I mean, yeah, I guess. Oh, I exactly. They never me. say, but Buscemi maybe, himself maybe, was forty three, maybe so. mid to late thirties. Yeah, that's where I'd put it. I wouldn't. I don't care. I I'm guess. Sorry. I guess based well, on. <laughs> he's he's worked at the same place for nineteen years, so I I would say at least. Let's assume he started working there, you know, around age 20 or so. So, yeah. Put him at 39. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, So, uh, later at the cafe, they hang out. Rebecca continues to look for apartments for them while Enid thinks about Seymour, feeling bad for being mean to him. Rebecca tells Enid they should dress like yuppies so that when they look at apartments, they will be accepted by the rental agency. Enid immediately goes home and dyes her hair green and dresses like a punk. Mm-hmm. Enid- I love the cut, the yeah. smash cut to what is it? The Buzzcocks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Enid's kind of a nightmare <laughs> of a friend. Yeah. yeah. She's a and teenage like- girl. She but wants so is to, Rebecca, and she's not you as, know? as much of a nightmare as Enid is. She's well, and so we don't... desperate. Oh, go ahead. 
We don't see uh, Rebecca's family at all, so we don't know what her family situation is like. True, but I would take Daddy Balaban any day. That dude is chill. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's super chill, which is part of why Enid's able to act the way she acts. I mean, she's... She very she's no one's going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And literally no one ever has told her what to do. So she's going through the experience of. Right. You've now run out of all of your free past days. Mm-hmm. Like at some point you have to accept someone telling you what to do. But this is the example of how she's so rebellious that the only person in the world whose opinion she gives a shit about she will not even listen to. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I get the feeling that her mom died when she was young, not divorced, mm-hmm. but died. Um, and obviously Bob Balaban <laughs> has been um, coddling her. He, she's been his little angel his, her whole life. He never tells, yeah, never lays down any rules. So um, the author, Daniel Klaus, um, he described Enid as sort of an id creature. Mm. Um, Enid. Oh, huh. Um, That's I'd also like to point out that Enid Coleslaw is an anagram of Daniel Klaus. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be damned. That's clever. Um, in just a quick note, the um, in the comic there is no character of Seymour. Daniel Klaus inserted himself into the comic book under the name Daniel Klaus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a second character, old guy, old guy, adult man character in yeah. the film, um, who Seymour is kind of an amalgamation of the Dan Klaus character and this other character from the comic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other character was named bearded windbreaker. <laughs> of course. No, is Bob, Bob Skeets or something. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, the, uh, there was uh, Bob Skeets and mm-hmm. um, I, and also Bearded. With, yeah, he's the, like an amalgam of those three. And yeah, yeah those two and the and Daniel Klaus. Yeah. Um, Daniel Klaus said that when he wrote the script originally, he just transcribed the comic and realized it was terrible as a film <laughs> and then wrote a completely unrelated story with the same characters which was also bad. And then he and Terry Zweigoff got together and combined the two scripts into what we have now. Huh. Um, so, uh, yeah, they girls go out. They see an old man waiting at the bus stop. It's an out of commission bus stop. Enid tells the man no bus is going to come. He doesn't believe her. Uh, they go to Josh's apartment. He's not home. So they go to... The xenophobia store uh, where the anti-Semitic guy works. The guys there make fun of her outfit. So she goes home and dyes her hair black again and listens to the record she bought from Seymour. Uh, She goes back to Seymour's weekly garage sale um, because she liked the song so much. Uh, We learn he's an avid collector of old records. He shows her one of the prizes of his collection. Um, so both um, both Enid and Seymour are nostalgic for a time they didn't live in. Yeah. 
Like, Enid would have been born in the 80s, and she's obsessed with the 60s and 70s. Uh, Seymour would have been born, like, early 60s and lived to the 60s and 70s, has no interest in that time period, is obsessed with, like, the 20s through 40s, mm-hmm. which I think is part of that, like, outcast thing of, I don't feel like I fit in anywhere I go I feel like I would have fit in if I existed in that time, but really you probably wouldn't have. It's just, you have comfort in the fact that if you had just been born 20 years earlier, that would have been your niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Seymour in this, uh, he's Robert Crumb. Yeah. Except, you know, without the, the, the perversion type elements of it or, or art, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, he is an avid historian, not just of music, but of those uh, the subtle racism type um, imagery, iconography, hidden past. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve Buscemi bears a a bit of a, uh, a resemblance resemblance to Robert Crumb too. Yeah. So where's the mm-hmm. old timey jazz outfits? Where's a fucking boater hat? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Seymour is. Enid doesn't recognize it because she likes Seymour and likes his misanthropy, misanthropy. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, she, uh, he, he's kind of a warning as to what she could one day become. Right. Which is also why she's so invested in seeing him as a likable and attractive person Mm -hmm. because, because as she says, like, I just don't like the idea of a world where a guy like you can't get a date. And it's part of because he is her future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, back at art class, her teacher dismisses her art as trivial cartoons while holding up important pieces. My whole like, life. <laughs> like the feminist classmate and her tampon in a teacup. <laughs> and they're digging each other so much. I just wanted them to have a side scene where they're doing like pottery ghost style. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I love the nineties, like feminist in like the overalls and the, the, the uh, handkerchief head, the riot girl. Yeah. Look. Well, mm-hmm. And, and, and an incredibly thoughtful explanation of why this thing is what, and it's just oh. like, Oh, okay. Because oh, wow. Like <laughs> that kind of artist, their actual art is the bullshit they're talking that's, about. That's that's not, the, not the teacup with the fucking tampon in it. It's the spiel they're gonna it's how give you. you sell it. Yeah, mm-hmm. about my father, or the, the wired coat hanger, <laughs> uh, sculpture. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Right. And exactly. that 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 girl is not dressed Most like that subtlety. in the first art class. Oh, then no. after that, yeah. she starts with the the handkerchiefs and the camo. And I the, did not yeah. catch that. Not the, the first uh, the first scene with her, Margaret. Um, mm-hmm. I for a brief second, I mistook her for Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Margaret's um, the student. Yeah, Margaret's yeah. the the student that the uh, stereotypical is, the, the fa- yeah. yeah the favorite. Of uh, the teacher at so, first. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And and Enid gets lumped in with the dude that just draws the video game he likes. Yeah. The mutilator. <laughs> yeah. Um, All my life I had to hear that common cartoons are pointless and stupid and not art. And yeah. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, the fact that Enid is failing art class and that she is an artist, she experiences art in her daily life. Mm -hmm. They were told to bring the inside outside and she submits a literal visual diary and is like, it's cute. Mm -hmm. Well, again, you know, from my own experience, it wasn't so much that that there wasn't anything for me to learn. I wanted to refine techniques and I wanted to learn things, but it, so many of them were just like this, where one art teacher has an agenda as to what they think art is. And they're not really interested, you know, like, Oh, I'd love to learn how to cross hatch. Well, we're painting mountains this week, you know, it's like, what? Yeah. yeah. A lot of that shit. Yeah. Well, That's exactly. What she Bob says Bob Ross is for. Yeah. Well, yeah, and 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 landscapes Ili- are gorgeous, but not everybody yeah. wants to. Yeah. Well, like Ileana Douglas says, she's mainly an a, a audio visual performance. medium, performance yeah. artist, performance, like and uh, yeah, yeah. She's a provocateur. <laughs> uh, that night at the video store, they're bored. Uh, Enid tells Rebecca there's a party she could take her to. They end up going to Seymour's house, which is full of middle middle aged record collectors. And it's a collector's party. Like, yeah. it's not really a party. Like, that's exactly what they're there to do. Trade records. It was, it, a, was, because, was it was because eBay didn't exist yet. That's why they're having exactly. that Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's crazy how much of this movie would have taken place on the internet today. Yeah. The internet does not allow this that's movie to exist. Charm. Yeah. This movie would have all happened on a phone yeah. today. Between two girls. Same with when a stranger calls. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you FaceTiming me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> the call's coming from right next to you. You're both watching Law and Order, not talking. <laughs> yeah, no, when a stranger calls, it would have been like, I don't recognize this number. I'm not picking up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or it says upstairs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll make Google transcribe it. <laughs> uh, Rebecca does not yeah, drop a pin. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca does not have a good time at the party, but Enid enjoys seeing Seymour's record room, which is full of early 20th century memorabilia. Enid asks Seymour why he isn't dating anyone. He's basically says, cause he's too dorky. Uh, she decides to help him find a girl. She takes Seymour to she- meet. She abandons Rebecca in a room full of men. Yeah. No, this. She abandons her friend in a room full of men. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that happens in this scene. She feels like she's misunderstood. Girl, get your shit together. You abandoned your friend in a room full of men you don't know. Yeah. This movie is in some ways painted like having to deal with like coming of age and your friends having like drifting apart from people you were previously close to. But in actuality, Enid's just an asshole. This, this movie is just about Enid after on second rewatch. It's really just about her and her development and the end of the movie where she makes a choice. That's it's, it's neat, but it took two watches for me to, to get it, I guess. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Because I kept thinking like, oh, it's about Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> but no, no. Scarlett Johansson is the supporting lead. Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah. Um, Anyways. Yeah. So uh, Enid uh, takes him to meet Josh at the convenience store. Then they go to the porno shop where she convinces Seymour to go in and buy her a leather Catwoman mask. 
Uh, later, she shows it to Rebecca at her new job at the coffee shop. Um, Rebecca is jealous that she went to the shop without her. Um, this is really the point where, like, you know, mm-hmm. Enid, <laughs> Enid likes the wheelchair guy, whereas Rebecca is like, no, he he, he kind of sucks. Yeah, I had a guy just, uh, I used yeah. to run the coffee, be a manager at the coffee plantation on university. Oh my God, we had a guy just like that. And he wanted, he got permission from the manager to be able to pull his own espresso from the espresso machine. Oh my God. I could not believe they did that. I was wow. like, you're just opening a can of worms. And he would just like yeah. bump out of the way. Uh, um, I do love that wheelchair guy is typing the words in. To Word, to a Word, a Microsoft document. Word document on an and old it's not even MacBook. any of those. Words. It's an old school Mac lip, laptop. Yeah, yeah. But he, but he just has a document open. It's not even a search engine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, search engines not didn't even exist in two thousand. Yeah, it's exactly. hilarious. Yahoo. Uh, and he's that's, typing something that's unrelated to the question. That's up there. Remember, the, that's up there with age. Yeah, that's up there with Kelly Rowland being upset that uh, Nelly didn't text her back when she's typing her text into Microsoft Excel. <laughs> I remember that music video. Uh, um. So I uh, yeah. Look, all we knew about the net was what Sandra Bullock had taught us. Oh, and hackers. We did hackers. (laughs) That's right. Hack the planet. You guys are forgetting Tron, too. You got to get on that bike and go through those (laughs) mazes. Go through the internet, those tubes. I am become. (laughs) If it weren't for Al Gore, we wouldn't have any of these problems. I'm opening a document. (laughs) Like, fully. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, wow! Um, uh, is that a lion? <laughs> no, the, in community, there's the dean gets a VR setup, but it's all just in order to yes. do like office suite things. So he has to climb yeah. up a cliff and like pull a sword from a stone to like open up a word document. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what? Because that's what because it was designed in the nineties. <laughs> if you watch Johnny Mnemonic, that's literally what they do. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, I, I appreciate Johnny Pneumatic. Where it's, <laughs> it's all about drills. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, Rebecca keeps asking Edith when she's going to get a job so they can get an apartment together. Enid goes home and finds her dad there with his old flame Maxine. Uh, Enid's not happy about that. He's constantly eating or whipping up food. He's just that dad. Yeah, 100%. I love how <laughs> he's much looking he, for a spatula in her room. Yeah, I love how much he loved his bagel in the first scene we see him. Oh, he's so like, much jelly. And like, but he's like, this is so good. And it's just acting movement, but he he puts so much jelly out there, and then he takes the side he put jelly on and puts some of that jelly on the other side, but then reveals it's a sandwich. (laughs) You don't have to spread it on both sides and then take some off of one. I don't know why it stuck with me, sorry. Um. We uh, get another scene at art class. She continues to not be taken seriously later at the cafe. Um, this is a very alt, like cool hipster cafe. This is different from the one they're usually in, which is kind of like a dive mm-hmm. diner. 
This is mm-hmm. like the cafe where there's like like couches and stuff, like yeah, cool vinyl least, chairs. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this Maybe. is like coffee and breakfast burritos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is yeah, this is one of those places that existed in every college town where you would get your alt weekly and sit and read it while drinking mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and smoking a clove. Yep. Um uh, the guy hands out flyers to come see his band that weekend. Alien autopsy. Alien autopsy. Aliens also well, big. Alien autopsy's big in the nineties. <laughs> this is where they have the discussion of like being horny but not liking people. Mm-hmm. But then also that Rebecca, from being a more mainstream, attractive person, often gets male attention. So like whenever Rebecca decides like, eh, I'll throw this one a bone, she can get laid. Whereas Enid can't stand anyone, but also very few people are interested in her. Right. So and, she's even oh, more sexually frustrated. Right. And and it's of her own making because it's yes. more because of how of the walls she puts up stylistically and socially mm-hmm. between herself and everyone else. Cause she's Thora Birch. She's not, she's not unattractive. Um, but then there was also um, from a male point of view, there was a dynamic of like, I'm kind of attracted. I'm kind of more attracted to the, the weirdo punk chick, but the other one's more approachable. So I'm going to go talk to her friend. And we'll just kind of see where it goes. Maybe this was just me. I don't know. No, no. I, I was, <laughs> Sometimes uh, the punk rock chick was intimidating. No, I was 100% more attracted to Enid on a surface level, but then she starts talking. <laughs> yes, yes, on a surface level. That, that's what I mean. It's approachable. You don't know them. Yeah. You know, but just like, huh, the, the normal looking one I could probably talk, small talk with. The other one, I'm going to say something wrong as soon as and, I. Yeah, she's going to get be, real mad and be snarky at me. I'm not going to. Immediately, yeah. So All there right, was that. So too. then, as the angry alt chick who had the pretty friend, I will say we were already coming up with our insult because we assumed you liked us less than the pretty friend. So <laughs> no, no, yeah, we didn't true. like you less. Yeah, we I'm just knew you were coming up with you. an insult already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we uh, we liked you all. <laughs> Yes. I don't know. Yeah, where yeah you were all girls. I don't know where the miscommunication happened, <laughs> yeah. but um, we were I got the, really, yeah. I got really lucky at age twelve and got shown a beautiful mind. <laughs> and I, and you learned math like, real good. Where he's doing oh, the math and explaining the situation movie. to all the to all the guys at the bar, and I'm like, that's so dumb. But also, hey, he's got a great point. Don't be an asshole to people. Maybe just be nice to everybody. Yeah, the you mean the formula of hit hit on the slightly less yeah. attractive best friend avoid first, the, and you're more likely to get laid. Yeah, no one goes for the blonde. That Everybody movie. wins. Yeah, I, yeah. it's I, very it's very dumb. I don't know where girls thought that guys had any sort of agenda whatsoever, other than like talk to girl, get girl talk to, to girl. girls, just talk to girl. Yeah, I'm so sweaty. <laughs> I need to say something right now. <laughs> That's what I assumed Josh was doing the entire movie. Not you, Josh. Uh, <laughs> Art Josh. Yeah. I was also yeah. sweating the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sweaty and 17 years old. Please, God, like me. Yeah. Right. It's like, I don't know why they both like me, but neither of them wants to kiss me. What is happening? But neither of them makes so a frustrated. move. And yes. I'm not going to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And for the record, I'm talking, I mean, it was the same in high school as far as this, we were concerned. Like any girl would 
be impressive, but I'm talking post high school, you know, like these, like these people, Josh yeah. and Enid, you know, where you, you suddenly were in an adult dating scene. So it didn't matter if you went outside your clique because you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was different in high school. You were afraid to talk to the weird girl because everyone would make fun of you. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't about intimidation. It was about weird peer pressure. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, that's me. (laughs) Um, uh, that night Enid and Seymour go to a bar to see one of Seymour's old blues heroes play. Um, (laughs) <laughs> there, Enid tries- open it up for Blues Hammer. <laughs> blues Hammer, which this just so sounds sad. like a big white penis. <laughs> that was yeah. That was the Blues Hammer was so on the nose. So on the oh, nose. There were so many local the and stage. There was a kid Johnny Lang that was real popular, mm. just a skinny sort of Edgar Winter knockoff. But that blues, yeah. that Delta blues. And that Jack Frost band sound. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Jack Frost band. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I I blame Eric Clapton and Pete Townsend for making these guys think they're allowed to play the blues. Yes. Yeah. Eric Clapton. Yes. Uh, Crimes against humanity. I would like to see him in the hay. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> the uh the opening act boring. guy. Um I don't have his name. I forgot to write it down. Um, but after Seymour corrects the the girl in the bar about it not being authentic blues, it's more in the the ragtime idiom. Um, I skipped back and listened to it again, and it was, um, yeah, it was exactly that. It's like I never really, because yeah, he mentions you, you think of ragtime Scott Joplin piano stuff. Um, but totally that guy was playing ragtime on the guitar. It's yeah. cool. Um, yeah. The Django Reinhardt, um, mm-hmm. style. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, In- a- Go ahead. no, I was just going to say, and that, you know, that guy was probably like 80. So he was probably a young artist in the thirties and forties. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably saw people picking cotton and plowing mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. blues hammer. Uh, and Seymour in the bar his- sing- Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrea. Uh, in in the bar scene is where Enid has the turn where she starts being attracted to Seymour because she's basically looking around the bar doing like a mental fuck, Mary kill. And her assessment of each dude in the bar is kill. Mm. Um, <laughs> until she gets to Seymour. And I think that she, she would probably go with Mary first in, in his regard. But like, that that's kind of how she starts being attracted is just comparing him as a litmus test to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, they, yeah. So, um, they go back to Seymour's place in his record room. He did finds an old poster depicting a grotesque character of a black man who was once used as a promotional tool by what's now known as cook's chicken. It used to be, Named differently. Uh, uh, I I think it's really interesting that we get the show before we get this. Um, because we see that he has like an appreciation for the art. So if you're if you're paying attention, you can tell that like he's clearly not racist. And she asks him, you know, are you part mm-hmm. of the KKK? 
Yeah, are no, you he, I don't even think it's the aesthetic of it. Maybe it is because he likes that old timey thing. But again, it's it's like that Robert Crumb thing, and Seymour even says so. It's like we just hide it better now. Yeah, like he's, he's more interested he is, in the social pop cultural commentary. Well, what's he's serving like a living memory purpose. He's in his mind, he's serving a societal purpose he, by harboring this thing, keeping it from being hidden, hidden. Well, it's and, like, but safe. And it's, know, it's interesting like, here as a character note that he says he was much more interested in that kind of stuff when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the, yeah. Yeah. When you're a punk rocker, when you're, when you're uh, uncovering. <laughs> yeah. Society's, uh, yeah. Society's hippo, like uh, hypocrisy. Like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you want to stick it to the system before you are part <laughs> of the system. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but the previous scene of the 20-something white dude singing about picking cotton with zero sense of irony kind of proves Seymour's point. Yes. Yeah. It 100% proves his point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because, I, you know, in the late 90s, we thought we were living in a post-racial society. We were very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's adorable. That's what's kind of kind of cool about this movie also is that it's in this moment in history when everybody's like no everybody's equal but it's clear that like we just have kind of brushed everything all that history under the rug Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. how can things be equal if we're just ignoring the history Uh, a quote from seymour he says people still hate each other they just know how to hide it better yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's Uh, it's very ahead of its time it seems yeah. Uh so uh she uh convinces Seymour to let her borrow the poster. Uh then in art class she presents it as a found piece with a social comment about racism. Rever- Roberta is very impressed. <laughs> this this shit is wild. I'm very aroused. <laughs> this is Seymour giving this to her is wild. A her taking this to school, B, wild. C, the teacher going, oh, okay, found heart. Sure. I can see Roberta. I, Roberta makes mm-hmm. sense. Seymour made a terrible decision in allowing mm-hmm. her to remove that from his place of residence. Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, I think the art teacher, too, because you can't display other people's art and call it found art. Uh, <laughs> That's true. The tampon on the teacup is a thing, but yeah. Yeah, this is d- a different thing from that, like... It's interesting to shine a light on it, and that's subversive. Well, by a lot using of people would art. argue because some people believe that art is just context. Yeah, so. yeah. And contextualizing it, I can see it then not being like plagiarism, I guess, or whatever. But like, I don't mean contextualizing it. I mean like I've presented it in this new context. Like that's, there's no, there's nothing right. to, there's nothing yeah. to unbury or you know, like yeah. I said, contextualize. It's just I put it in this arena now. So yeah, it means yeah. something different. I, I, you know, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Tampon on teacup. But, you know, just yeah. think that, I mean, uh, the, the the ultimate example being Andy Warhol's Campbell's the soup. Campbell's soup. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's a new context. Uh, I feel like an old man yelling at clouds, but then I remember, like, you're being an old man yelling at clouds. It's art. Technically, in the way that the art teacher is accepting. It's just crazy to me that this is the sequence of events that happened after this. I forgot about this part of the movie and was just shocked. Like, what? We're doing what now? Yeah. I mean, I would argue that the only context she's provide, like, I mean, Andy Warhol at least put paint to canvas, <laughs> technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no. 
<laughs> Enid literally just, just provided a previously created thing. And she also doesn't give Middle a shit about any of it. She doesn't care about games, the point right? she's making. Yeah. She just rationalized, I bet that she would eat this up. I bet this yes. fucking art teacher, I, she didn't like my painting of Don Knotts, but she would eat this shit up. Yeah, That painting of Don Knotts, though, was great. I would put yeah. that painting of Don Knotts on my wall yeah. any day. <laughs> For sure. Also, also, shock value. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she yes. likes to yeah. freak people out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, also, painting of Don Knotts shows that Enid, <laughs> that Seymour's kind of Enid's type, actually. <laughs> actually, yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> and Enid does seem to be trying to get kicked out of everything she does. She is yes. trying to get bucked from whatever she, thing. She, she, Yes. No, she lashes out at her dislike for culture, the current culture, yeah. in a self-destructive manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Enid gets a job at a movie theater. Uh, she's typically sarcastic and abrasive to the customers and gets fired on her first day. What kind of idiot gets fired on their first day? I mean, I've gotten fired on my first day before. Yeah, I just have you really? Out. Yeah, I have. Uh, 39 cent hamburger stand. Oh my God. Um, if they're selling hamburgers for 39 cents. They can't pay. Oh well. man. That was the, around this time in oh, yeah. real life that we, yeah. I, you I just scrounge a bunch of change. Mm-hmm. I remember Dave would just come home with like 30 of them. Yeah. Just drop them on the table. Well, here's the thing. I worked there for one day. It was in the nineties. I can't remember when exactly, but sometime mid to late nineties worked there for one day. Um, I was the only, I was the only male. I was the only native English speaker. Uh, it was his, Hispanic uh, women. Um, and they just kept yelling Spanish things at me. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. They didn't train me. They just put me on the front desk because they needed uh, someone the to, speak, to speak English to the customers, I think. Why? I don't know for sure. And I just stand there. I'd like ring up things on the register. They'd yell things at me. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And at the end of the shift, the manager who was an Hispanic lady who barely spoke English was like, you don't come back. (laughs) I was like, okay, that's fine. Thank you. Yeah. I have a tood wiener, dude. (laughs) So, um, Yeah. Enid gets fired. She goes and tells Rebecca. Rebecca is not happy about this. She's clearly starting to get annoyed that Enid isn't taking her seriously about living together. Um, Enid decides to get money by having a yard sale. I love that like 18-year-old idea. Like, well, if I get some money right now, then I'll have money and that'll be the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have money. I won't have to continue getting money. Yeah, what what is it? 30, 40 bucks? I mean, yeah. I could sell a couple of records and a cassette or two. Uh um she ultimately decides she can't part with any of her belongings due to the sentimental value. Um Rebecca wants to hang I, out. Well, which is the same thing that the dude does yeah. at the first garage sale. Like you wouldn't appreciate this. So yeah. Yeah. it's not for sale. Yeah. Well, okay, so she says, I lost my virginity in that. That's why it's so expensive. I think that's a lie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a I'm lie. Sure. Be- 
because really? later I don't think later, she's lost her virginity. Because later in the movie, when she looks at her jersey that she wore when she was with Seymour, she gives it a very long, intent, like filled look. I think that that's that's just me reading into that, but I think that that's what they were telegraphing is that she's flubbing here because she oh no no she's no that's what they, I think is happening. She's she's had sex. She doesn't care. Her and Rebecca. That's fair. Well, uh, when, when earlier they when they say what does Satanists what do Satanists do? They sacrifice virgins. Well, I guess that keeps us safe. Yeah. I but I don't believe her. Tech, that's yeah, just my. You think she's lying about look. being a virgin? They seem like virgins I, to I me. Think so. I don't yeah, think Rebecca is. They're very like. I don't know. She might be though. I, and that's not. I don't want to read too much into that. It's just they both seem very like bluster filled. Well, because they talk about some, they talk about one of Rebecca's exes, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like Enid's ever had a boyfriend. Right, but she. Okay, so going to the comic, in in the comic, they both tell kind of their losing virginity stories, mm. and Enid's losing virginity story kind of lines up very much with what this character is like, which is basically she picked a guy and got it over with. Mm, yeah. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't special. It wasn't fun. It wasn't even enjoyable, but she picked a guy and got it over with so that then the next time she picked a guy, it wouldn't be this big deal. Makes sense. That's well, and that's fair because in a movie generally they would say something about it. They would be yeah. like, this is my first, like they would put a hat yeah. on it, which I, is gross, but. I, yeah, that's, I, that's fair. I do believe. And, and in the comic, they she even mentions like the particular dress she wore. Oh, okay. So, so they yeah. are leaning into that. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. I, I just the the way she looked at it on my second watch, I was like, "What is happening? Is this?" I do. I do. I was believe, like, "Cause I was like, that's really that's worse." I do definitely believe that there's a connection between that and how she looks at the jersey after she has sex with uh, mm-hmm. Seymour. I think the sex with Seymour may have been the first time that it was. I don't want to say special, but the first time that but she was doing meaningful. Yeah. 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 I think she's um like kind of like like a what is it, demisexual kind of thing of like only really being able to enjoy sex if you have an intellectual attraction to the person. Yeah. And yeah. that may have been her first experience with that. Which um, is also why she can't get off on masturbation because she hates herself. <laughs> so she's not intellectually attracted to herself. Oh, I don't see those things as mutually exclusive. <laughs> what is the natural next step? To <laughs> Masturbate, uh, hate yourself. Um. So uh, Rebecca wants to hang out with Enid that night, but... Enid instead goes to Seymour's house as it's his birthday and she gives him a, was that a ho-ho or a ding-dong? Which one? What's the cupcake called? That was a hostess cupcake. Host, oh, it was a hostess, hostess, cupcake. hostess cupcake, not a... Uh... Well, ding-dongs are hostess. And yeah, but that's just a cupcake. Okay. They call it. <laughs> well, they should have given it a better name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that night. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We're going to make tw- twinky jokes, but yeah. let's move on. That night, uh, Seymour receives a phone call from Dana, the actual in- recipient of his personal ad. Uh, Enid encourages him to pursue a relationship with her. Uh, 
Rebecca and Edith go to, I think, Bed Bath & Beyond, maybe World Market, um, yeah. and begin shopping for stuff for the apartment. Uh, Rebecca... She has an Ikea box in her apartment later, and I just mm-hmm. saw the logo because I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that was a... Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they talk about Ikea and Fight Club, which was two years before this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, e- even even this is a betrayal, <laughs> as far as Enid is considered. The fact that she likes the cups in the mainstream store mm-hmm. is Becca pulling away from her. Yeah, she's not like getting retro, kitschy, ironic cups from a a, a thrift store. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, uh, Rebecca is being extraordinarily patient with Enid's lack of motivation. Uh, Rebecca wants to go out that night and watch the show, uh, the Alien Autopsy. Um, Enid wants to hang out at home because she wants to wait and see how Seymour's date went. Appointment phone calls. Yes. Yeah, something that... Her priorities are so weird, too. I mean, because Alien Autopsy, let's be real, is probably not going to be a great band. Of course Cool name. Terrible band. That's usually how it happens. Becca's trying to hang out with people their age. Yeah, and she's just trying to go out and hang out and have a good time. Yeah, Yeah, whereas Enid wants to continue just being the two of them, being mean to everybody, while simultaneously... Um, blocking out Rebecca to hang out with Seymour. Mm-hmm. So like she, like, like again, just a nightmare of a friend. She wants you to be available for her at all times while not being available to Rebecca um, when Rebecca needs her. Um, which goes beyond the irony and is just a bad friend. <laughs> yeah. Just dickish behavior. Yeah. Um, Seymour has his date with Dana. <laughs> She tries to get him to dance with ice cream, which made me very nervous for like a solid 15 seconds. <laughs> like, just put it down first. Put it down. Yeah. Why did this feel like a, like a torture video? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was so uncomfortable. We didn't have a word for I was nervous yet. expecting his back to go out. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just and, waiting and- for him to be the worst dancer ever. I mean, Seymour's got to make the decision of does he wear the back brace on the date or not? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's <laughs> wearing rough. the back brace increases the likelihood that the date will go well. Well, but if it goes too well, you don't want to be seen in the back brace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fine line to walk. <laughs> uh, Guys, uh, Al is right there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, to be clear, uh, uh, Seymour had a lumbar support. Yes. Yeah. I sorry. I meant back. Al has a prescription. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. None of this tourist bullshit. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, my my back brace covers the uh, full sacral lub, lumbar and thoracic areas. Oh. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, uh, Enid calls him and learns that the date's going well. She's obviously upset about that. And since Seymour can't hang out, she calls Rebecca and asks her to go out with her, wants to see if she wants to do something. Rebecca says she's going out with work friends, which is an obvious lie because she's in her pajamas watching TV. Mm-hmm. 
Um, this is the first time Rebecca's kind of like, now fuck you, Enid. Yeah. Well, because she wanted a wingman and Enid mm-hmm. wants to be Seymour's wingman. Yeah. Instead of her best friend. Mm-hmm. It's like, she didn't really want to see alien autopsy, but they were going to go talk to guys. Yeah. They were going to be Just around like talking to girls. You need, you know, well, and having then, someone who helps. And that's the thing. They were going to be around other cool young hipster people like Mm -hmm. maybe they wouldn't have been the exact flavor that enid Mm -hmm. enjoys but they still would have been better than like your like jock and prep high school yeah sure but that's why even back in it though Mm -hmm. it's because at the very least yeah i i can't sit and make fun of people by myself yeah at the very least but no enid completely blew off rebecca and expected Rebecca just to be ready for her when she wanted her to be. Um, so uh, Enid goes and finds Seymour having lunch. <laughs> I I did not I do not enjoy the way that Seymour eats chicken <laughs> with his sneaky well, sex lips. Yeah, those sexy Buscemi lips. <laughs> no well, sneaky like- sex lips. Is that what you said? <laughs> That's a bad name right there. Sneaky <laughs> sex lips. It's, it's from Deadpool. It's what he says to the creepy orderly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah like, I remember that. I thought it was you. I was like, yes. <laughs> there's like a three seconds of a blank screen and just the sound effect of eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Terry's like, I've told Steve Buscemi, eat this chicken as, as sexily as possible. <laughs> Just showing that everybody likes chickens. Um, <laughs> like you got it, boss. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. so- <laughs> Should I think about racism? No, just think about chickens. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not too happy about her showing up um, because Dana's going to be coming by, and he definitely doesn't want to have to explain to Dana why he's hanging out with an eighteen-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to go really well. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. let's if there's, return to the tape. If there's one thing that like women in their 30s who you're just beginning to date want to see, it's the man they're dating randomly hanging out with teenage girls. Yeah. yeah. And I I remember from seeing this originally being in an Enid perspective kind of way, thinking that Dana was really lame of like trying like being like men and women can't have platonic relationships or whatever and being weird and possessive. No, no, I totally get it. Why the fuck are you hanging out with this attractive teenager? Yeah. Why do you have an 18 year old friend? No. What is, what is wrong yeah. with you? You work Shut for a down. chicken company. You shouldn't be talking to teenagers. No. <laughs> yeah. Even- <laughs> no one more virtuous than the Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> or Popeye. he's a sailor chicken or yard birds no even better i just found out when researching this movie that that he's named after that that chain is named after popeye doyle gene hackman from the french connection wow really yes it had because i was researching about about fast food chains that used to have different names seeing if any of them were racist and um, they, this Popeye used to be called, I don't know, like Dave's Chicken or something. And they renamed it after Popeye Doyle because he loved that movie so much. Crazy. 
what? Crazy. Yeah. Popeye Doyle God, from I the French. That. Gene Hackman. So Gene Hackman has a fast food chain named after a character he played. Of course. Uh, wow. Anyways. So, so you know. Later on the last day of art class. I'm sorry, but Popeye Doyle was pretty racist. He was. Yes. He was. Wow. Uh, but he loved chicken. So, you know, what can you do? It could have been Lex Luthor's chicken. <laughs> those, things, <laughs> those things are not mutually exclusive. Loving chicken and being racist. <laughs> no. No, they're not. Or not being. Loving chicken has little to do with how racist a person is. I Everybody agree. loves chicken. It's fucking delicious. Yes. Uh, Especially fried. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fried chicken. Papa, Papa's is one of my favorite as far as fast food chicken goes. Uh, and later on the last day of art class, Rebecca offers Enid a scholarship, a full ride to art school. Enid yeah, is tepid about the offer. See, this is in that same sequence of what the hell is happening events. You were giving the girl who brought this found piece of art a full ride scholarship because she brought that. Yeah. What? No, because of what she said about it. Like I said, yeah. the, the spiel. It was the spiel, not the piece. Yeah. She's shocking. She's going to shake up the system. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It is the spiel because at the beginning, when she asked her to explain it, it could have gone either way, but she enjoyed Enid's yeah, we explanation. Actually, we actually yeah. think she might be offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she's like, it's brilliant. And because of how she sold it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, she wants to send Enid to art. <laughs> like, this is the thing, Enid. This is the thing you, you've you been waiting for. Yeah. Do I have to go to classes? <sighs> That's a very high school question, though. I just, so, just want to hang out and be cool. Isn't that enough? Why yeah. can't I just hang mm-hmm. out and be cool in my whole life forever? You know what, though? I don't disagree with it. She's got moxie. <laughs> well, Sure. You know, sure, but we like. Well, yeah, I don't Cap- disagree with this. And when I Cap- loved yeah. It. yeah, and when Captain Picard and the Federation are yeah. running everything, you can probably just hang out and be cool and have have a winery or whatever. But <laughs> but until then, you got to work at Captain Picard's winery until then. Until then, like Brittany says, you got to work, bitch. I ain't gonna work on Captain Picard's winery. <laughs> also, Captain Picard's brother has a French accent. What the fuck, guys? <laughs> they had different tutors. Right. Yeah. Captain Picard got sent to boarding school in England or something. <laughs> that, that's what Patrick Stewart's explanation has been. <laughs> Uh, um, so, uh, later that night at the, uh, end of class art show and its poster gets displayed, the, uh, school officials are, and the, the people attending that there's a lot of people attending this art show more than there should be. There's a representative of the press there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that to be the most unrealistic part of this entire movie. Um, Anyways, Enid did not even show up. No, Enid didn't show up. Well, she went to ask Seymour to go with her. And when he said no, she just didn't go. So they're offended. They take down the uh, 
painting. A photographer from the local Alt Weekly is there. He gets pictures of the whole thing, runs a story about it. Um, Enid asks uh, Seymour to go. This is where Seymour tells her that Dana doesn't like them hanging out and geez, they shouldn't hang out anymore. Um, Good job, Dana. Keep it up. Yeah. As Dana is correct. Enid uh, feels depressed. Where'd so she, you get those pants? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He, they are acid wash, so, but you know, they're in their 30s and the 90s. It's, it's good enough. They look good on him. I don't know. It's just me. But he's wearing the same shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tucked into right. the jeans. It's, it's glorious. It's perfect. One step at a time. <laughs> she's mad that he has compromised any any ounce of himself in order to be in a relationship and he's trying to as the ghost of things to come mm -hmm. tell her like you have to at some point like it's this or I'm alone forever yeah. so I'm gonna give it a shot yeah if you don't compromise yeah. You can do that, but you're going to end up living alone, working for a chicken company with a a record room that no one wants to see. Yeah. Well, and it's he, interesting because, well, he he says, like she's working on it. That's a lot for Seymour, who was yelling at people mm -hmm. crossing the street and shit. You know, he's changed. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, yelling at people for having children and needing to cross yeah. the street. What are you hypnotized? God, I love that line. Uh, so funny. Um, this is where she see, she finds the old man at the bus stop again. Tells him he's the only one she can count on always being there. He's still waiting for that bus. Uh, next day, she and Rebecca go apartment hunting. Um, they Terry's Wygoff said they specifically used very few extras because um, they wanted to give. They wanted to uh, communicate Enid's sense of isolation, as well as the fact that in comics, they generally you just generally don't draw a ton of extras in the frame just because that's a lot of extra drawing and it takes yeah. focus away. So um, um, I noticed that specifically. They're like, this is a totally normal street. And there's like one guy five blocks away walking past. Um. But anyways, they Enid is a total asshole, and they fight and end up not getting the apartment together. Enid goes home and cries, and this is the point where her dad tells her that Maxine's moving in and wants Enid to go work at the what was it, the computer store. Read the fucking room, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, computer station, it was called. Computer station. Yeah. He says usually they want two years. Is this a computer store or like a, a an IT company in some way? It's probably a retail store. Yeah. It's the nineties. Yeah. Um, um, that reminds me. I wanted to. Uh, where was it? Um, the the coffee shop was called the Coffee Experience. Oh. Okay. It just I don't know one of the the bland. Yeah. Corporate titles in this movie. Yeah. The Coffee but Experience. She's, she's computer wear, station. She's wearing a green apron. You know, very Starbucksy. Yeah. Um, masterpiece video. Yeah. Uh, um, Enid goes back to ask Roberta if she can still have the scholarship. Roberta, Roberta tells her that uh, since the newspaper story, the school 
has forced Roberta to give her a failing grade and revoke her scholarship. That means she doesn't even graduate high school. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Enid goes to Seymour's in the middle of the night looking for solace, starts drinking his champagne, which Dana brought over to celebrate their two-month anniversary. And uh, results in a... uh, Seymour gets drunk, too. It results in a drunken one-night stand between Seymour and Enid. (sighs) I mean... It's par for the course for Enid. Seymour's really making some bad choices here. Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, Seymour is the uh, responsible adult here, or should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the one who should know better. They're both technically mm-hmm. technically adults, but he should know better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, he's, uh, you've seen it on his face before uh, when she started talking about uh, she had a crush on somebody, but the the situation is totally fucked up. He has this hopeful look on his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it turns out to be Josh. Yeah, and he gets upset by right. that. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he was not, I don't know, blindsided by this necessarily. Yeah, no. I mean, he was hoping for it. For, he, he wasn't yeah. expecting it. This is also, other than Dana, the only woman he has any contact with. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and- besides his mother. And a yeah. therapist. Yes. And real. that he feels like, it, it, which, is, which is the uh, excuse that a lot of older men use when they sleep with uh, young ladies. But uh, he feels that she gets him and understands yeah. him in a way that women his own age don't. But the problem, is, the reason that the young girl does is because women his own age have realized that those guys are full of shit. And <laughs> like... that there isn't something to get your immature assholes yeah (laughs) yeah um so he wakes up the next morning he thinks they're gonna start dating clearly when they're about to go to sleep Mm -hmm. she has deer in the headlights sobering like oh fuck look on her face as they're going to sleep uh he wakes up the next morning she's gone and he continues his bad choices by going and breaking up with Dana at her place of work. Oh my God. She is a professional woman. She is in a business suit. Yes. She is an adult with an adult job. And her co-worker, the other realtor looks like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. (laughs) You know, the same suspenders and different color color. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's so kind to um Bashimi to what's what's his name? Seymour. 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 Suddenly okay. Seymour. Suddenly Seymour. Uh also just another in Enid is an asshole. Uh that night she spends there, she gives him no forewarning of what happened with the poster that from his work that he let her borrow. Yeah. 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 She does n- yeah. She does not tell him. It's unclear if she knew before she talked to uh, Roberta because she didn't seem shocked about right, what but, happened, but also. But she, she also goes to Seymour's after Roberta explained what happened. Yeah. She didn't ask about what happened. She knew there was an incident, but Roberta doesn't even directly tell her what happened. Oh, maybe. 
Yeah, I, I, it, just the way that Enid reacted to Roberta telling her that, it gave me the feeling like there may have been something that, like a scene they cut about her be finding out what happened or something. Mm. I don't know. Uh, it was in the newspaper, so but it, I, I assume that yeah, people knew, like it was common knowledge in town. But uh, yeah, so anyways, he breaks up with Dana, tries to get a hold of Enid, who's dodging his phone calls. Enid convinces Rebecca, who has got an apartment on her own, shout out to the late 90s when you could afford an apartment by working as a barista by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice spot. Or you could sign a lease. Yeah. 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 They'd <laughs> let an just 18... one month employment history. They would let an 18 year old barista sign a lease for an apartment all by herself. <laughs> for a house. Yeah. Um, own, it looked like it was a, a whole house. It looked like it was a duplex, maybe. Oh, in this, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, but for a whole house, you're saying in general, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there were no rules. <laughs> there weren't. No, we had the one house that Al found and rented. He robbed. Then there was the one next door where you and Dave lived, right? And then there was the <laughs> back house with Josh. We had a whole corner, and then on the the uh, east side was the. Uh, Oh, was a chop shop or something in the abandoned Sahara Motel yeah. across the street. <laughs> I know that exactly was wild. That yeah, the abandoned Sahara oh. Hotel, which is now, I believe, like 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 student oriented, like luxury apartments or something. Yes. Yeah. 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 They've gentrified the fuck out of downtown and the university area. Um, so <laughs> on part four of Tucson. Geographical landmarks. <laughs> More than any other episode, and there's no tie to it in this movie. <laughs> uh, Come and knock up. So uh yeah, um Enid convinces Rebecca that they should still live together. Seymour gets fired um after his job finds out about the newspaper story on the poster. Uh Enid and Rebecca begin moving into their new apartment. Um Enid tells Rebecca she's going to move all her stuff in the next day by noon. Enid goes home to pack. But the next day, she doesn't show up at the new apartment. Seymour goes there to try to contact Enid, only for Rebecca to tell him about Enid's prank phone call and how they mocked him at the diner, showing him Enid's sketchbook about it. Uh, I, lo I love this. This is one of those misunderstandings in a movie that just is great mm -hmm. it shows so much that her friend doesn't show her past the pages that they were both teasing him you know mm -hmm. seymour also doesn't he's not curious enough to look past it and it sets her up to show him himself herself yeah but i mean i'm wondering even if he looked past like i still finding that out i'd be pretty pissed off oh yeah absolutely uh, yeah it doesn't matter that she eventually came around yeah, right. she started from a really shitty, vicious place. Shitty place, yeah. Um, Seymour is upset. He goes to the convenience store where Josh works. Um, as she told him that she had a crush on Josh, so he thinks Josh is somehow involved or to blame. Oh, and also Josh was there. She drew well, Josh as being there. Right. Yeah. She took she took him to see Josh mm -hmm. also. Yeah. And then they just left. Mm-hmm. So he's seen Josh before too. It's such a Seymour weird... doesn't know he was the only person that stuck up for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So then, uh, Seymour 
starts trying to knock things over. There's one of those big freestanding pegboard things from the 90s. We had uh-huh. those in the pet store. Those weighed like a thousand pounds. Seymour never yeah. had a chance of knocking that thing over. And they're all he was dedicated though. Yeah. Again, I thought his back was going to go out. <laughs> yeah, there was that. Too. Al is very back focused with good reason. <laughs> oh yeah, ever since the, the start of the movie with the the girl in the halo, I was like I I feel for these characters. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I'm sorry. That this this movie really hit home. <laughs> um, yeah. Um so yeah, uh Doug intervenes with Seymour trashing the place and they get in a fight. Um, Seymour gets injured. Practicing nunchucks in the parking lot of a yeah. convenience store is just something you're not going to see anymore. No, yeah. And it's sad. <laughs> With Only dude, turtles dudes, get to operate nunchucks now. By a dude wearing nothing but high tops and cut off shorts. Yep. God bless. And like a God couple of buddies America. watching him. Yeah. <laughs> no, that dude. And, uh, and crew socks pulled all the way up. Yeah. Yep. Parking lots, man. He was ready. He's ready for anything. It's funny that we've lived long enough. So so, see that dude? It's origin in the 80s, go out of fashion in the 90s, come back into fashion in the 2010s, and now be back out of fashion again. And then sort of back. People love mullets right now. That's true. Can't figure that out. Not the whole, but just the hair. Because they didn't have to live through it. Do you guys know the Beastie Boys coined the term mullet? Really? Yeah, it never existed in any publication prior to the Beastie Boys putting it out in a zine they published in 1991. That's the first printed instance of the word mullet, referring to a haircut and not a fish. They established the business in the front party. Well, I mean, the haircut existed, but they they coined the term mullet to be it. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) What did we call it before that? Hockey hair? Uh, just you know, Paul McCartney's wings look. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Enid visits Seymour in the hospital to apologize. She shows him the rest of the sketchbook with nice drawings of him. She leaves. Uh, Rebecca's waiting outside for her. They kind of say goodbye to each other. Mm-hmm. Enid walks and sees the old man at the bus stop. And watches from across the street as uh, he gets on a bus, which has no no signage on it whatsoever. And no passengers. Yeah, yeah he's the only passenger. The next day, um, Seymour, well, maybe not the next day. Sometime later, Seymour discusses the events with his therapist. His mom picks him up. He's living with her now. He no longer has a job, so he can't have his own apartment. <sighs> Sorry. Uh, things are really starting to look up for me since my life turned to shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where to go, but uh. yeah, he's, Yeah, he says, I think I'm ready to get back to my old life. And the therapist is like, well, <laughs> yeah. let's see. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing out of his mom's mouth is like, did you take time in therapy to decide what you want for dinner? <laughs> She's like, that's some real mom shit right there. <laughs> right there. Like, no, I was doing the thing I'm doing. Yeah. Mom. Um, Enid goes to the bus shop, bus stop, and gets on, I can't talk, and gets on the bus and drives off into the sunset. 
parts unknown. So taxi, if anyone. Oh no, I was trying to do uh, Mrs. Robinson. Oh yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. It's a bus. Yeah. Is she on a magical bus? Is this a symbolic bus? Is I this mean, a it's real definitely bus? a symbolic bus, but I don't know. Is it a ghost bus? Is it a magic school bus? Ghost world? Right. Like, I, I don't want to read too much into it, mm-hmm. but that's what I like to do. Yeah. Um, is that for. death? Did she kill herself? I, yeah, I no. think the idea is... Like, that's okay. where well, I'm like, okay, the so old man... Maybe an ego death. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. An ego like, death. Because, yeah, this like the symbolism of it is weird. It's a bus. It's a bus, the last stop. And there's so, no markings on the bus and it's empty. And so, so, that's the one he got. So off. this has been addressed by Terry Zweigoff. Oh, okay. There, okay. Yeah. there, there was, there was a, um, uh, he was asked at some point if that represented her committing suicide because that had become a popular fan interpretation of her getting onto yeah. the bus. No. He said that he can see how it could be read that way, but the intent was that she is leaving her former self behind and mm-hmm. setting out on her own to join the world. Exactly. Good. That's so, what I was going to say. It symbolizes she has no idea where she's going, but she has realized she has to go there by herself. Right. Yeah. And she has realized she has to go. She can't just right. stay yeah. where she's been. Or she'll be sitting on the bus stop forever. Yeah. But yeah. he finally got picked up, so maybe there's some hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Norman finally got on the bus. Maybe she can also get on the bus. Mm-hmm. Because she literally says two scenes earlier, Norman, you're the only one who's always here with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. If she doesn't get on the bus, she'll be sitting at the bus stop forever. Yeah. Um, there is a post-credit scene <laughs> in an alternate universe in the in the multiverse. Seymour beats up Josh and Doug and tells them that's what you get when you mess with Seymour. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfuckers, yeah, fuck with me. That was a real Mr. Pink moment. Right. <laughs> I think that's why they did. Yeah. I love that they had the sound effects for the punches yes. and everything. Yeah. Like they went out of their way to make it a little better. You can hear them. You can hear people laughing in the background. It was definitely an outtake. But yeah, the the way that Doug jumped up off the ground when he kicked him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, yes, he flies up like a fish. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and then you you see Nick Fury come back from the like beer cooler. Area. <laughs> it kidnaps a young Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. <laughs> like one Jumps day. her off to Russia. She <laughs> yeah. one day will play Coretta Scott King. She'll <laughs> <laughs> never turn a roll down. Um, um, I'm so glad that they put this in there. I'm so glad you pointed it out. I I like that the director clarified that because I, just thinking of the this era of movies directed at young women, there are so many movies with suicide in them. And it's nice to have one that doesn't. The oh, Virgin yeah, like the Suicide, speaking of... Girl Interrupted. Uh, speaking of lost in translation kind of adjacent films. <laughs> the fragile, yeah. broken girl. Like, and American Beauty and things like that, too. Like, there's a lot of suicide in the late 90s, early 2000s in film. Yeah. We, which I don't think I don't think is as helpful as people thought it was. We were, we were living think, in... Uh, after Kurt. Mm, yeah. Well, it's... And we were living in a post-history world, like... The only thing that's left is to experience 
culture, ironically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Alrighty. I give yeah. it. I. Yeah. Yeah. Good um, movie. <laughs> that's yeah. any. I don't know what it says about cantaloupes. me. How much I identify with Enid as we <laughs> talk about what an asshole she is, but I did have like. So this can I like I basically dressed like this like pretty much every day of high school, and then this came out after I graduated high school, like that summer, and I loved the movie, but then people would say like, oh, you dress like that chick from Ghost World, mm. and then like Enid when she's mad at nobody getting her punk look, I would be like, no, I dress like that before Ghost World. <laughs> uh, it's so hard to be young and cool before everyone else. No yeah, I mean, I think it. we all identify with these on certain levels. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just that you know, deep down, she's kind of an entitled little brat. It's mm-hmm. yeah, but, you know, it's... the outside looking in, the wanting to be weird. The yeah, Rebecca, you know, all that. Re- Re- Rebecca is the version that's 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 a real person. Enid is the version mm-hmm. that's all id. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's, I mean, and this is an interesting coming of age story because it's really an "it's me, I'm the problem" coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Instead of overcoming something, it's like overcoming myself, and I'm an asshole. Instead of like I have this debilitating thing that's stopping me from doing something, it's like no, it's your attitude, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. It's a, this is a beautiful movie. I I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it as yeah. an adult. It's fun to watch. Yeah. No, this is the first time serious. I've probably seen it intended between 10 and 15 years and it's it's really good <laughs> really yeah, good i think i was like 16 or 17 when i watched it last so yeah. it's a long long time ago yeah so um any final thoughts from anybody nope no. all right then that closes a door <laughs> except uh all you people at home do you remember when like swan was the furthest <laughs> east in tucson you <laughs> When that was the east side? That was the east side, yeah. All right. And fifth the, time. Yeah. Fifth Tucson trivia. So that's the end of our Tucson geography episode. <laughs> Past, present, and future. Uh, that means it's time to look towards next week when we'll be covering Green Valley. <laughs> oh, God. How green Can't is my Yuma episode. very gray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian's Yuma episode where he's the only one who knows where anything <laughs> About is. Yuma. Yeah, like, like, oh. no, no, it wasn't like that. Avenue C, Planet Streets. I got you guys. Our Yuma <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, all right. That's it for Ghost World. Next week on Harmless Phosphorescence, we're going to be watching Sin City. Oof. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Some whiplash there. So I thought next week we would uh, start instituting since we no longer are ranking things. And I miss our I, I miss that we, we don't have a lot of Siskel and Ebert on a lot yeah. of these movies. I thought yeah. we would start giving our own thumbs. I would for this week, but it's clearly the, just a good movie that we all like. Yeah. Yeah. Um I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. gonna start thumbing the movies ourselves. <laughs> Just thumbing them away until yeah. it's raw. Uh, so, but that is next week on Harmless Phosphorescence. Until then, thanks for hanging out with us. This has been your host, Throw Smiley, and I'm off to go eat some real racist chicken. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm Josh CC, and you are not here, therefore you are gay. <laughs> I'm Brian Lesh, and how weird can I really be? I'm wearing Nikes. <laughs> what about me? Am I not even here? I'm Andrew Martinez CC. And I am the amusingly cranky eccentric curiosity known as Alaric Weber. <laughs> he really is. He's a maverick Sagittarius. <laughs> we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.